Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Broadus. I've started a new mini-series that will be co-hosted by Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys. Our idea is to highlight as many of Maine's game fish as possible and do one episode dedicated to each species. Each episode will include types of body of water to find these fish in, not specific locations, so think like streams, rivers, and ponds, as well as techniques and flies to use for them each season. Our goal is to educate folks about each fish species here in Maine and to share some of the ways that we've been successful in catching these fish on a fly rod over the years. Whether you're new to fly fishing or have been at it for decades, we hope you learned something. I told Greg after the episode that I shared some techniques and flies that I don't usually talk about publicly, and he agreed that he did the same, so there's some juicy content in this episode for you. Our first fish to kick off the mini-series is our beloved brook trout. We hope you all enjoy. What's up, man? How you been? Pretty good. How you been? Good. What's what's? Uh, well, I've been busy. I know you've been on the water, but I, don't, I, don't, I haven't had any time for that recently. So. Yeah, I've been spending my time on the water. You know, chasing mm, not as many brook trout as I would like to, but uh, hopefully we can get in some good discussion today about brook trout and and how to catch them. You've been following the salmon, though. That's what you've been doing. I've been following the salmon, but it's been a it's been a tough year. It's been you know low water, really warm, and that's kind of pushed me away from my typical brook trout haunts that I usually go to. And you know they'll be there next year, so I've been in search of salmon and some higher water. So yeah, man, that's I mean, and you chase the stripers all summer, so. Yeah, I just chased some stripers a couple days ago, too. It was a little nippy outside, but uh, they're still around. They're still hanging around, so not for long, but they're still around. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, I hate to do it, too, but I'm going to call you out. And you got some personal news you want to share since, uh, last time, since last time we met? Um, I, uh, I'm recently <laughs> engaged. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Donna. <coughs> Love of my life. She'll be very happy to get a shout out on on the podcast. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's my big news. I hate to tell you, but you're gonna lose a lot of fishing time <laughs> in the next few years, whether you like uh, it or not. Well, that was actually a disclaimer that we agreed upon yeah. that uh, the engagement would not dip into my fishing time at all. So we'll see. I'm kind of in. Uh, you know, can't really get away from if she says no, you can't anymore. So yeah. I guess you know we'll we'll see. I'll hold you to that. You would know better than I would. I don't have I don't have kids yet, so you have kids. I so. have the same disclaimer. I had the same disclaimer that you have. And, uh, <laughs> didn't work out so well for me. So you know you're gonna want to go fishing on Saturday, and she's gonna be hounding to mow the lawn. And yes. Yeah. Now yeah. that you're engaged and then married, you can't yeah. get away from that anymore. Yeah. So. That's true. That's true. That's how it goes. So that is. All right, let's. Uh, now that we get that out of the way, I had to, I had to get one in on you right there. But big news, man! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. You got a date set or anything? Or? Uh, we're thinking June twenty twenty two. Nice. With like COVID, COVID clear out. Yeah, I just you know, next year we were like, eh, you know, we'll wait. We will wait. It's not like you know, not like she's going anywhere. So, oh, no, it's you know? true. <laughs> you know, that's true. Nice, man. Yeah, that's big news. Thank so. you. Thank you. Uh, all right, so we're going to jump in and talk about Maine's uh, beloved fish. Um, some people would say it's a landlocked salmon, but a lot of people would argue that it's the brook trout. And I think I think the big reason brookies are so popular in Maine is like we're, we're kind of the last stronghold in the U.S. for wild brook trout that get some pretty decent size to them. Yep, I would you agree know, with that. That's uh, whether you're fishing lakes or ponds or rivers, it's... it's uh, 
you know, you can catch them in all three. Pretty sizable fish. So we're very fortunate to have that here in Maine. And, um, yeah, we're going to talk to you guys a little about brook trout today. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about with you guys is, you know, where uh, where should you look for brook trout? And we're not going to spot burn, right? That's old crappy topic. But we're not going to give away names of places. But we're going to talk about types of, you know, bodies of water where you're where you're looking for them. So, um, you know, generally, let's let's start with uh, let's start with ponds. Let's start with ponds. Let's start with ponds. Maine has so many ponds, and I've not nearly explored enough of them. Because there's literally thousands of ponds that hold brook trout. Even in southern Maine, they you know you might be chasing stockfish, which some people you know might maybe you know, look down upon a little bit. But yeah, I don't. But they're there. I, they're there. I mean, the they're opportunity there. is there. So yeah. if you're looking close to home, if you live yeah, down here, right? Exactly. That's cool. So that's great. But if you're looking for the native trophies ponds, north I think is where you want to head for sure. Like north of you know. Moosehead and north of that, that's your trophy location. And, you know, ponds, little ponds, float tubes, those are the best. Yeah. I love sitting in a float tube. You just feel like you're in the water. I don't know. It's something more personal about it than sitting on top of a boat. You know, you're just sitting in the water. Float tubes and... It looks comfy, too. Oh. I haven't done it in a long time. So oh. I... so. It is, it's more comfortable to me than I like sitting in a canoe, but you know, canoe is a main tradition too. Like a lot of guys for show a canoe and yes, for sure. A little more leverage. Yeah. A little higher. Yeah. But I, yeah, out of a canoe is not bad, but yeah, the float too, especially on a smaller pond that's, you know, where you don't need to travel far. Obviously, if you're trying to look at a bigger pond, like it'd be tough to take a float tube out on Moosehead. Yeah. You, know, you probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't fare too well. No, but that would not be great. <laughs> But um, a great resource, if you're like, well, I don't know <coughs> what pond to fish for brook trout, IFNW has lake surveys on every single pond in Maine. Yep. And it tells you what fish are in there and if it's basically good or bad for cold water fish. So if you're looking, if you're in search of, well, what ponds hold brook trout, go on Google Maps, look above Moosehead Lake. And then match that pond name with the IFNW website. Yeah. It's the lake surveys, I believe. That's like, if you're totally new to this, that's square one. That's where I would start at least. Yeah. You know, I still do that. I'm like, oh, look at this little pond. And then go to IFNW, look at the lake survey. Oh, there's only brook trout in here. It's good for cold water fish. Oh, maybe I'll, I'll put it on a list and I'll go fish for it someday. You know, so. Yeah, and I, th- I think... Um I think our ponds are great too because they don't get as much pressure nearly as our rivers, you know, stuff that's roadside and you got to work to get into them and stuff a little bit. And, um, at the same time, you know, those reports that you read, do you ever read those reports and look for, um, cause they often tell you what type of like bait fish are in there, right? Yes. And do you find that helpful? Like, does it make your decision up if you see black nosed days or you see smelt or something in there? Like, yeah, it definitely helps. Um, it definitely helps my fly selection. So if I'm going to a pond that has like let's say vegetation, like heavy vegetation, but it holds a brook trout, yeah. then I know that there's probably going to be a lot of leeches in it. So I'll use a lot of woolly buggers or something like that. If there's a lot of smelt in it, or if there's smelt in it, then obviously you want some smelt patterns, you know. And yeah, you know, same thing with days, same thing with shiners, you know, and all that stuff. And then 
going there to a pond really helps to just sort of pick up some muck and look, you know. Yeah. Is there a lot of dragonfly larvae around? Is there, you know, is there a hex hatch there? You know, that comes with spending time at the pond where you start to observe the bug life that kind of helps Yeah, I mean, you kind of got to be there in summer mostly to see those, like, adult versions of, obviously, like, dragonflies and damselflies and then hex hatches and stuff. And Mm -hmm. when's a good time for that for people? For the hex hatch, which is probably the most prolific hatch in Maine, I would say. It's the biggest bugs that really hatch in large quantities in Maine. That varies quite drastically, but it's usually July, August somewhere. You know, mid-July, late July, early August, even early July sometimes in some places. But July is definitely a good bet. Some will hatch sporadically throughout July, but if you can hit it, each pond is different, but if you can hit it on the right day, you know, within a week or or so, then you can really, like, so thick you can't open your mouth, you know? Like, yeah. It's, no, I've I've hit a heck, uh, well, I've hit a green drake hatch before, and mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're almost as big as hexes, and the fish are just willing to take on anything that look just like it. They're not super, super picky when those hatches are going on, too, which is cool. Yeah. So. And the, probably the last thing that I look for in lakes for brook trout is how deep it is. Um, I mean for the ponds. Yes, for the ponds yeah. is how it, deep it is. And it probably doesn't make a ton of sense to get in the lakes too much either because lakes are more places where we get a troll. Like fly fishing is not really done as much in some of the big lakes. Yeah, right? it's hard. Right, it's hard because you can only cover so much ground. And right. so like if I'm going to fish, you know, Moosehead for brook trout, it's tough to throw a dry fly in moosehead. You just feel dumb. You right. Know? You're like, it is such a big lake, yeah. and I'm throwing this, you know, size 18 small fluffy thing, you know, in a lake. So, it's a yeah. It's on the haystack. Right. But the smaller ponds, I look for depth because if you have a pond that's only 10 feet deep, brook trout probably aren't doing great there because they just don't have that refuge in the summer to retreat to. So, yeah. If you can find, you know, a 20, 30-acre pond that's 70 feet deep and it's in the north, there's probably some good-sized brook trout in there. Yep. So that is something to definitely look for. So you definitely look at the acreage of the pond too? Yeah, for sure. One, just for, you know, can I bring a float tube in there? Do I need a canoe? Do I need a, a motor? Yep. You know, do I need a – I usually put like a little 30-pound uh, electric motor on my canoe, you know, and if it's like a hundred acres or two hundred acres, and need something like that, right? Then I, I don't want to be paddling all day, you know. So yeah, I'll um I'll bring that. So yeah, I definitely look at the acreage and I definitely look at how deep it is for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, you know, for people who listen to the podcast a lot, you know, if you want to go hear about remote pond trips, you can listen to episode nine with Sean Flag. He was all over it, so he's got a lot of tips there. But um, so so anything else? Uh, we're gonna get into We'll get into techniques and we'll get into flies to use for ponds. Um, is there anything you want to add about ponds besides that? Nope. Uh, big shout out to Flag for that um, episode that he did. Also, if you haven't, I highly recommend it because it was good. He had a bunch of good little kernels of information in there that you're like, oh wow, that's a really good idea, you know. So yep. yeah, go listen if you if you're yeah. into that stuff. Sean's a Sean's a true New Englander, and he's the first person I've had to put the little. The little E symbol onto a podcast for it. <laughs> like, use a little New England language, you know? So that was, that was pretty funny. So I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Um, let's talk, uh, let's move over to rivers. Let's All talk right. about rivers. Um, let's start with big rivers. 
big rivers, the bread and butter. I love rivers. I'm more of much more of a river guy than a than a pond guy for sure, but big rivers and brook trout. Very what I look for is riffles to pools. You know, a good run to a pool. If you have a change in water movement from fast to slow, you know, and you have extended periods of slow and then extended periods of fast, there's probably going to be brook trout in there. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of rivers in Maine that are just quick water for long periods of time. They typically don't hold a lot of brook trout. Yeah. Because brook trout don't like to just sit in that current all day long. They, especially when it comes summertime, they need those deep pools. They're not like salmon who can kind of withstand the temperature a little bit more and stick in those currents for longer periods of time. So big rivers, first thing I'm looking for is transition zones. Those are what we all know, an eddy or a pool or somewhere where there's moving water and then a nice place for a trout to just sit there and sort of pick off the bugs floating down that moving water, whether that's like we said, an eddy or a pool. So that's my like first thing. When I get out to the river, I say, where do I want my fly to go? And I want it to go right in those transition zones. That's the first thing I look for, if I'm looking for brook trout at least. Yeah, and I, I, I've, uh, over the years, I've gotten a lot of good advice from people on fishing some of our bigger rivers. So, like, you know, not, again, not spot burning, but, like, our big rivers in Maine, like the Andro, the Kennebec, right, the Penobscot. Like, those are, those are three, those are Maine's three biggest rivers, really. And, um, you know, somebody gave me great advice back in the day. When you get to a big river, they, they say, you know, break it down into smaller rivers, basically. So when you get to a set of riffles or something, like, break that section down into, like, three little mini rivers, you know, and you're looking for pocket water, right, like behind yeah. rocks, or you're looking for these kind of smaller little runs that are that are kind of off to the soft, you know, mm. soft water off to the side or whatever. I so, like that, breaking it down. That's, yeah, like, it's good. intimidating yeah. to get to a big, oh, yeah. old river and yeah. just see, like... You're like, okay, where am I throwing this fly? <laughs> right, you know, like, I can only reach 50 feet out and it's 500 feet across. So yeah. Yeah, it's intimidating. Yeah. yeah, and I've even found in the big rivers, though, like, stick to the short game. Yes, for you sure. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason to make a 50-foot cast because no. then you got varying currents and you're yep. mending like crazy yep. upstream, downstream. It's nuts. And it's, it's funny. When you're on shore, you try to get as close to the middle as possible for whatever reason. But when you're in a boat... You try to get as close to shore as possible. That's right. And so it's like, why? I don't know why people are just like, they must be out there. And then when they're in the boat, they're like, they must be on shore. It's like, you know. Now, are you you the type of guy when you get to a river, you get to the edge, right? And like, Mm -hmm. there are some guys who they don't even get off the bank and they start literally around the edge. And they're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to step in water where there could be fish. Mm -hmm. But it looks like there's a sweet spot that's maybe, you know, 15, 20 feet out there. Mm -hmm. And you're. You're kind of like in a rush to get there, you know what I mean? So yeah. How do you how do you treat a situation like that? I'll skip the shoreline for sure. You do? You yeah. just go right for oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you it. know, for me it's all about, um, you know, maximizing your opportunities. Because for me, you know, I typically only have a day, maybe two to fish. Sure. You know, you too. So it's true. I want to maximize every opportunity. And so, yeah, there might be a few fish hanging out by the shore, but if there's a spot that I believe holds more fish, then I want my fly in that water for a longer period of time. So for me, I get out there, I assess the river, and I pick, yes, this is the best spot. Yeah. 
likely to catch a fish. I'll go and fish that right away. And then a guy once told me a fable, basically. A blind man walks through a river, and this fisherman's all upset because he walked right through his pool. And then the guy says to the blind man, hey, you just scared all my fish away. And the blind man waited a minute and proceeded to fish that pool and then caught some fish. And the blind man went up to the fisherman and said, what happens when someone knocks at your door during dinner? The guy says, well, I go up and get the door. And then the blind man says, well, what do you do after? He says, I go back to eating. And he says, well, same with the fish. And that's true. You, you walk through an area. Yep. The fish don't just shut down forever. No. You know? Not I in mean, our rivers. No. There's, there's too much cover and stuff for them. They don't spook like no. that. You know? So, and you know, deer, moose, they're walking through those rivers sure. all the time. It's just like, you know, any other animal walking through. So I, I have, even if you do walk through an area, don't believe that it spooks the fish for the whole day. That's, yep. that's a wise tale. It's not true. Nope. So for me, I go to the best spot that I think is holding fish. And then I'll fish the other spots around it. Yep. You know, but yeah, so screw the it's, shoreline. It's I funny you say that because I, I have a story back when I was, uh, was when I first started guiding. I wanted to bring a client to this one spot. Mm-hmm. I was really, I really liked this spot. And there was a guy standing, like literally where I know the fish hold. Yep. You know, it's up to his waist. You know, that's pretty high. Like, yes, yes. When you're in a big river, like if there's water up to your waist, that's probably fish holding fish there. Fish holding there for sure. You know, yeah. maybe ankle deep, not so much. But sure. to your waist, that's a, that's a good fish spot. Yes, it is. And this guy's just taking the spot. He's just standing there for like two hours, right? And I'm like, so finally I was like, all right, listen, we're going to go fish behind him. <laughs> and so I was like, I go, what I want you to do, I want you to cast upstream where he is. And yeah. then you're going to drift the fly, not even five feet behind him. And most people will be like, well, that's kind of rude or disrespectful. Yes. But I'm like, the guy was standing in one spot for two hours yeah. where there are literally fish just at his feet. And yeah. he wasn't catching anything. He was, yeah. just, he was just smoking a cigar and, yeah. you know, whatever, enjoying his day in the water. Sure. But, yeah. So client proceeds to catch a fish right behind his back. It's a salmon. <laughs> it jumps out of the water and splashes it behind his back. And he kind of turned around and grunts. And I was like, oh, well, that's what you get. Get, yes. the, hell, get the hell out of the way. You yeah. know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Same we're probably using them as a break in the current. I know, you know? man. So. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so that's another thing with rivers, though. If you are, if you're standing in water, that's up to your waist. You're probably standing on the oh, fish, without a doubt. Our Especially rivers, if it's slower, right? Yes, even our big rivers are fairly shallow. You know, when you see them at low water, you're like, wow, it's it's really shallow. Yep. And then you think, well, okay, high water is only two feet higher, three feet higher. So that means it was, you know, it's always been shallow. You just can't see it. You know, we have so many tannins in our water. It's hard to see. We don't have many gin clear rivers, you know, we Not have really. very few. So it's difficult to tell the depth, especially out towards the middle, especially in big rivers. Even just three feet away from you, sometimes you can't see right. anything. But when you take a drift boat out or, you know, you take a whatever, you know, out to the middle, you're like, oh, it's pretty shallow. It's pretty shallow. You know, yeah. A lot of our rivers are shallow. Yep. So. It's intimidating you, though when you can't see, you know, yes. and there's white water, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of moving water, but. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so if you do find a spot that's waist deep. Mark that spot on your mental calendar because there are fish there for sure. Yep. I mean, without a doubt, there's fish there. So, so let's let's also talking about rivers. Let's talk about like a like a medium sized river. Mm-hmm. So something that's maybe you know less than I would say twenty five yards wide or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, when you're driving through Maine or you're finding you're going by rivers a lot of the time, you'll see some that are there's a lot of white water. There's a lot mm-hmm. of big boulders. Sometimes really shallow in some spots. And then other rivers you see, and it's just like it's 
it doesn't even look like it's moving. Yeah. And so you have a dead, you have like dead water, mm-hmm. you know? So if you have, um, will those hold trout, brook trout, do you think? Like the slower ones? Yeah, for sure. Brook trout are like, you got to remember they're historically like in our, uh, our whole watershed, you know? Yeah. So it might not be optimal, but there are brook trout there. Especially if you know, is that river connecting to a lake that has brook trout? Or does it connect to tributaries that have brook trouts? You know, then yes, for sure. Now, maybe not like early August or something, right? right. But like, what, like what's an optimal temperature for a brook trout to be hanging in like a... Because you drive by these rivers sometimes, you see them. There's just no flow. Yes, yeah. It looks like a still water. I would say, you know, especially in the spring... If you're gonna go for still water, brook trout are on the move in the spring. Yep. Usually, either chasing smelts or getting to their summer holes. So spring is a good time to hit these because usually the slack water is just a connector. Yeah. To something quicker. Something quicker, or coming from a lake or going to a lake. Usually, it's like you know a little highway. Yeah. So spring and fall, those are like good stretches to hit in the spring and fall. The, the slower moving water because trout are moving through those areas. So I like to hit them particularly in the spring when I know fish are really moving. Sometimes like, you know, May, you know, or mid-May, that's probably my favorite time to hit them because fish are really moving through. And you might, you know, no fish might be moving through, so you might not catch it, you know, you might not catch many. But if you hit it right and there are fish moving through it, you can catch some monsters, you know. That's a good time to to catch these monsters. I think a lot of people think that, like fish go to one spot and they stay there all year too, or like like throughout the season. And so it's mm-hmm. not true. I mean, they just no. yeah. they move like crazy. They're constantly chasing, not only like food, right, like smelts and stuff early in the season, but then they're they're chasing temperatures too a little bit. Oh yeah, they for can't, sure. They can't be in those eighty degree slow waters. No, in the middle of July. no, no. Yeah. chasing oxygen content, chasing you know temperature, even chasing food. Like they they remember fish remember stuff. Yep. And so they know, you know, if they're a couple of years old, they remember spots. Like, this was a good spot to be for a caddis hatch. Like, they, they go to the same areas yeah. each year. That's why if you it's fish like a river people. enough, yeah, they're just right. You have your favorite restaurants. Fish right. have their favorite holes, right. you know. And so that's why you go year after year to these same holes and fish are there, you yep. know. It's like they're not just staying there but they're moving to those spots because they produce a lot of food sure. or they have a good oxygen content or they have a good temperature or something or a springs coming in whatever yeah so you know for brook trout finding those spots just takes either one a lot of walking or two like a good set of binoculars and just look for people you know because in Maine there's not that many holes like that people know the spots yes so you could just drive around and look for you know people and that will often point you if you're you know new to brook trout and you're fishing a river that you know holds uh fish it's not a big deal to sit on the bank for an hour and watch people fish right you'll learn a lot from that there's nothing like there's no negative side to that it's a great way to learn and it's you're being respectful of the people you're not crowding them you're just trying to learn you know it's a good point and there's like what angler would be like if you went up to an angler and said hey you know i'm new i'm trying to learn can you like help me out a little bit? What angler would be like? Screw you, buddy. Get away from right. me. Also, no, this is mean, man. People right. will give you flies. And yes. they'll be like, listen, this is what they're hitting. Like, they're, right, exactly. People are great about that. You know? So if you're new to Brook Trout and you have no idea how to target them, I would say go out, 
put some effort in for sure. You're going to need to put your walking boots on, especially for rivers because, you know, they can be long and, um, but don't be afraid to speak up and ask. Yeah. Cause I know, right. I would give someone flies. Or I would tell them, I tell people all the time, Hey, go here, do this, do yeah. that. You know, it's like, it's not spot burning by any means. It's just helping out a fellow angler. No. Like, you know, you're, you're passing on some knowledge yeah. and you're giving out some good advice and that's karma. You know, it comes back around to you right. at some point. So, so, so that's kind of like a, we were just talking like kind of still water rivers. Now, mm-hmm. now, more moving rivers that are more medium size, you kind of have your freestones versus your gravel, right? Mm-hmm. But in Maine, we don't have a lot of gravel rivers, so to say. No. Like, or it's just miles and miles of gravel bottom. Yep. But we have a lot of freestones. You want to explain to people what a freestone river is? Basically, you know, there's, I split them up into like, Two types of freestone, even though it's really whatever. There's only one type. I split them up into two: a medium rocked freeze, you know, freestone, and then large rock freestone. Just like big boulders. Free the freestone is just like larger rocks, inconsistently placed throughout a river. Yeah, I guess is a good way to yeah picture. And they're creating what's called pocket water a lot of time, right? And those are better for brook trout. Year round, year round. I don't want to say that the gravelly uh, rivers don't hold brook trout because they do at certain times of the year. But usually these freestone rivers hold brook trout all summer long because they have these pocket waters that they can rest in and, you know, deeper pools. But the medium ones are, you'll see the water is very turbulent because all the water that's rushing over these medium sized kind of boulders that are sunk create these little waves and a lot of people would just call them rapids or whatever but if you look closer the water is not moving that fast it's just it looks like it is because there's an up current yeah the water's hitting the rock pushing the water up it's creating a wave you know kind of a wave effect as it moves down those are great places to catch brook trout yeah if you can identify them especially in the medium rivers because the water is usually a little deeper and brook trout will just tuck right down in those medium-sized rocks. So you're like, oh, it's a pretty good current. I don't know if there will be fish there. There is because there's bigger rocks underneath that current where brook trout are sitting. Yep. And you have to think of it as like kind of a cost-benefit analysis. The brook trout might need to expend more energy to sit in that current because it's a little stronger. Where are you talking in relation to the rock? In front of the rock? Yeah, in front or even around, just around the rocks in in quicker current instead of like... But not directly behind it. Right, right, right. Compared to, say, a calm pool or an eddy where a fish can literally just sit there and expend no energy, right? But if you're a fish in that little quicker current, you have more food coming by your face. Yep. So you're spending more energy, but you're inputting more energy, you know? And so brook trout will play that game, and it's really temperature dependent as well like if it's a comfortable temperature for them then they can kind of play that game yeah. and that's when you know in may june and a little bit of july you brook trout are all over the river you know there are many spots whereas yeah. in the spring and the summer they're kind of potted up yeah because there are only certain areas that fish can actually hold and still survive yeah. so for medium rivers especially the freestone ones in the months of, you know, late May, June, and July, you should really explore and look. Don't just look for the pockets. Look for the current areas. You know, a lot of 
people will pass up those little riffles, you know, and fish will hold in those riffles. I know you know yeah. that for sure. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. So That's that fun stuff. the large ones though, it's all pocket water. Yeah. You know, right behind those rocks. So you have these big boulders, the streams coming through, you have these big boulders. But that creates this little back eddy behind a yes. rock, right? And like yeah. a lot of people will like, I'll drop a fly, not in that back eddy so much mm-hmm. because they don't really hold behind the rocks too right. often, right? Right. Like, you get this back eddy, and then below the back eddy, mm-hmm. the river kind of starts to do this nice little slow flow. Yep. You know, you're you're between those two other currents, right? So you get this little seam down the middle. And it's yep. almost like, it's funny to me because at the beginning, when I, was, when I started fly fishing, I would hit those back eddies a lot, and I was just not mm-hmm. having any success. But if you drift down below that back yep. eddy, there's often another rock coming up. Yes. And those fish will hold below that slow seam, right? Yeah. Where there's another rock right in front of it. Yeah. And then there's two fast seams to the left and right of it's it. It's just such know? a great visual. That was a good visual. I, I mean, that's really, what I, I see. I can really picture it. You know, that's I what I really see. Picture it. I also find that just behind that back eddy I'm talking about, and then mm-hmm. there's a, that, that slow little seams going. Yeah. Do you often find this? But I find that there's kind of a hierarchy. Like the bigger fish will be right at the beginning. <laughs> yes. And then like the medium fish get the next dibs. Yes. And then at the very end of the pool are your little Twinkies. Yes. You know, but that makes, yeah, the Twinkies are always at the end of the pool. Always. But it makes sense, right? Because you're big and bad and you want first dibs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like let's say there's a juicy stonefly floating down and you're third in line. You're yeah. not going to get that stonefly, right? So it makes sense, especially you're not expending any more energy. It's pretty much the same speed of current. But you get first dibs on everything that comes down. That's right. You know, so yeah, there definitely is, and that's why whenever I'm fishing with people who are like newish, or, or you know, I'm showing them something, I always say your first cast is like the most important cast. Mm-hmm. Now, I have caught the biggest fish on the hundredth cast, you know, before it like happens. everyone, it happens. But more often than not, you catch the big fish on one of the first casts. First three. Right. Because I always see that too with people. For that, sure. That's your chance because they're first in line. Yep. They got first dibs. And yep. usually whatever you're throwing is juicy. You know, right. it's not a size 32 midge. So if you, you know? miss that fish or he, he bites and comes off or something, right, mm-hmm. do you continue to fish that little stretch there? Yeah. I mean, if it's... Because he's probably not going to come back. Out. No, he probably won't. But there are... If it's a good spot, there will be other fish like we talked about. And so, you know, maybe you don't catch the 20-inch brook trout, but, like, you settle for a 16-inch brook trout. That's, you know, like, the like medium. Right, which is, like, yeah. you know, whatever, you know. I mean, that's a, still a good fish. You're upset that you missed a 20-inch, but a 16-inch brook trout will make you at least forget that that, that, that miss. That fish you know? will your day up. And yeah. I, it's funny, man. I get to show people that hierarchy all the time, and I, I say, all right, be ready in your first three casts. Yeah. And I'm like, that's probably going to be your biggest fish. And then they blow it most of the time, unfortunately. <laughs> but then, but then they end up getting the little guy at the end or whatever. And mm-hmm. those fish are like, they almost like jump on your hook more. Oh. Like they're just way more willing to eat, especially well, they, when you're throwing like drives. Or yes. Something, so. Well, they need to catch up. You know? <coughs> they need to become the big fish. So they yeah. they're just looking to gorge. So yeah. So the tail end of pools, the tail end like of those those little runs. Yeah. If you're new to Brookshout, that's a great place to go, because you'll probably catch fish you probably won't catch the big brook trout but you will get action and you can you know it's a good place to learn it's a good place and why won't they catch the big one you think more like presentation type stuff yeah yes i mean they're smart they didn't get big you know for no reason and so they're really well what it is is or what i think it is is they're keyed in on something yeah you know and 
if you're not throwing that something um, because you're new and you're not well educated on you know aquatic insect life of that river, then you're not gonna know. Should I be throwing a size twenty pheasant tail or should I be throwing a size like fourteen caddis larvae? You know, like you know, you don't know, like you, you just don't. don't. You haven't right. So yet. you haven't right. So gotten enough fish to know. Right. So brook trout might see like a red midge floating by its face and be like, "I've never seen that before in my life," you know. And you're just throwing it all day long, you know. So yep. again, if you're new, it's just a trial and error thing. Yep. That's where talking, you know, you see someone catch a couple fish, maybe you go over and, you know, I don't know, chat them up a little bit, you yep. know, chat chat them up a little bit and see, hey, you know, try to get on their good side. I got a question for you about dry falls. I'm going to ask you later though. Okay. I'm going to get to it. Okay. But it's a, it's a funny one. It's a theory that I have. So. All right. Um, all right. So basically folks, we've kind of talked about ponds. We've talked about bigger rivers, kind of smaller rivers. Um, I guess we could touch really quick on like really small streams, like mountain mm-hmm. streams and sure. stuff. Um, my experience with them is that, man, it's fun to go in there with like a little two weight. And, you know, once June kind of rolls around, mm-hmm. pretty much all through summer, yep. if it's shaded enough, right? Yeah. Yep. The water will stay cool enough. Maybe there's, maybe it's a little spring fed. Yep. Um, I'll find that you, you just throw some small little caddis dries or something yep. like that. And you're, you're just into, you know, it's little oh, fish. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Little it's wo- fun, man. woolly buggers. It's a great place to bring kids. Yeah. You know, like, because the, you know, again, Moosehead, North, Jackman, those areas, you can go to these little mountain streams that are really well shaded, bring, you know, a little two-way, small, like, six-foot rod, five-foot yep. rod, like, super small You like rods. something really short for yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Know, oh, yeah, because, yeah, and throw a little woolly bugger, you know, yep. all, all day, you know, size... 12 what do you think bugger. about the Tenkara guys to do that because they get like a 12 foot rod yeah i you know <sighs> it's interesting though isn't it i guess don't knock Tenkara. you're getting a lot of people angry i'm knocking Tenkara. So. i'm knocking it <laughs> <laughs> no i it's it's cool it is cool but it's uh yeah it's just it's not for me for sure but it can be difficult not on a small stream yeah I mean, you're basically doing that style when you use a fly rod on a small stream anyways. How Pretty often much. do you cast more than 10 feet? And right. a lot and of the times, not peeling the reel off no. on you. A lot of the yeah. times you're doing a bone arrow cast or you're just roll casting. I mean, you're doing a Tenkara cast. Right. So, But what you, do you think about it? Like, that's my thing is I'm like, I love the idea of Tenkara. I think it's so cool to have like a fixed line. Mm-hmm. And on, on, on little streams like that, like, you don't need, you don't need a reel. Like, you don't need, yeah. you could have 20 feet of fly line and you're good. Yeah. But the twelve foot like rod to me is like man that just seems so long on yeah. something that's six feet wide. Yes. So know? yeah, that that part I don't understand. For me, I, I would ins- I would probably take it a step further and I would just use line. Yeah. I would just use fly line, not a rod. If right. I was gonna do that, I would just do because you can cast if you know how to cast. You can cast with just your hand, and then they're little fish. Yeah. You know they're like. Wait, you're talking no rod? Yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you mean? You just chuck the line. Yep, out there? just chuck the line. If you're a good caster, you don't even need the rod. And if you're going to Tenkara, like if you want to challenge yourself, that's part of it. I feel like if you if take you don't believe away. him, if you don't believe him, go watch. He's got his little. He's got a double haul video that's, where he shows you how to double haul with no rod. He just uses line. That's true. So. so you can you can cast like 50, 60, 70 feet if you're a good caster with just your hands. That's crazy stuff. So for me, where did you learn that? 
A lot of YouTube and a lot of trial and error. Yeah. A lot of more trial and error than than anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was I'm trying to learn how to double all still to this day because yeah. I'm just a I'm a stream like small river guy, so I'm still trying to learn and practicing a little bit, but. Greg, you know, you're trying to have me practice with just fly line and yes. no rod. And like, I don't <laughs> it know seems ridiculous. Doing, it seems ridiculous, but it does help. I promise, it does help. All right, you'll get there. You're you're yeah. getting better too. You're you a winter better. project. That, yes, yes, a very good winter project. But yeah, uh, so small small streams though. It's again, it's it's just um, if you're looking to find brook trout, it's the same as a freestone medium river, just yeah. shrunk down. There's still the deep pools the eddies with the trickles after it you know the slower moving riffles like it's just it's the same exact drop pools yeah same exact concept just miniaturized what's cool is like you don't have like you know you were saying go north of moosehead go to these Mm -hmm. places kind of western maine northern maine but honestly i mean you can hit a lot of stuff right here in southern maine i know places in saco that have wild brookies in them yes and it's like behind a dump or something you know what i mean like yes you're like what yes if you're looking for just brook trout and a really small stream, just basically go to any blue line on a map. Blue line, right? Because yeah. they, be the they probably hold it. I know in Biddeford, there's, I know, three or four streams that hold. So cool. Native, you know, native brook trout. And it's like, yeah, they're behind like. The auto parts store. <laughs> they're behind like, yeah, restaurants and stuff, you know. <laughs> know. So it's like, there's, yeah, yeah. So, that's funny. So that's small streams, but. I, did you notice? I know you're a big social media guy. So did you notice this this summer? People are kind of like getting past the big fish thing, and they're like now like blue line into new thing, like going for the little guys. Like big fish are going to do something different. You know, they're losing their luster. I yeah. feel a, a yeah. little bit, a little bit, and I know that makes you happy. I know it does. Oh, I'm okay <laughs> with that. But I'm not always a big fish chaser. I'm happy with little no, guys no. too. Yeah, there's more. There's more to fishing than just big fish. Hell yeah! So, like, social media has not done a great job of showing that. But yeah, big fish are losing their luster for me too. Yeah, I just like you know, big brook trout are cool and they're fun to catch. But oftentimes, to catch them, you know, you have to sort of maybe do some things that you don't want to do yeah you know either fight crowds or push your moral boundaries push your ethics as an angler and you know it's if i don't catch another big brook trout in my life like i'm gonna be just as happy as i am now you know like it's not you know it's just a fish well i find i find i'm starting to find a lot of joy in just watching not even fishing just kind of watching the river sometimes and um what's funny is uh Oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought. But I was we oh we were talking about earlier. Um, we were talking about how trout kind of have their positions, right? Like the big guys at the front, mm-hmm. little guys in the back. And last year, I started just watching trout feed underneath the water, mm-hmm. and it's so cool because there are certain times of the year where they're pretty stacked up because they're yeah feeding on some biomass, right? Like sucker eggs or like smell, right? And yeah, stuff like that. And they're they're pretty stacked up, but. Or they're spawning, right? And, mm-hmm. um, I've uh, I've watched like a big brook trout just pushing other fish out into their area, and it's not like violent, but it's yes. just like they just kind of yeah. shimmy over to them and kick them yeah. out, and they come right back, right? Yeah. And then he's feeding on, you know, whatever he's feeding on, and it's like um, I don't know. I've I have like this. I have like more of this joy now about just like seeing fish and locating fish without actually fishing, right? Yeah. yeah. 
And that's been really, that's been really kind of cool thing. In the yeah. last, but I think that's actually. a natural, natural progression, you know, like we fish so much that you can only catch a 20 inch brook trout so many times before you're like, all right, I, you know, cool. You've done it. Yeah. So you, you know, to see them like behaving. Yeah. That's so, that's the coolest thing. Did you ever feel like in your earlier days, because I felt this way, I always felt like when I get to a body of water that I have a timer on me and I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta fish. I gotta have this fly in the water as much as possible. I gotta catch as many fish as possible. I was like that for a lot of years. And now I'm Mm -hmm. like, now I'm like the old man. I'm only 33, but I'm like the old man who's just like, <laughs> I'll sit here and eat a sandwich for an hour yes, and yes. chill out and just watch the river. Like, I don't feel mm-hmm. like I need to have a fly in the water all day long. Yeah, you know? I am uh, I'm not like that for sure, but I'm more um, calculated now. And before it was, I needed my fly in the water and I was rushing. Yeah. You know, I felt, I felt like a weight was on my, my chest, you know, like, boy, I got to do this and I got to do that. And oh, I only have six hours left, you know, like I couldn't come back tomorrow. Yeah. Like I said, I felt like the timer was on. Yes. And know? now I like to fish as much as possible, but it's more calculated and there's no stress attached to it. Yeah. I just like to do that. So yeah. I'd like to be up when the sun comes but up. But do you think you had to do that timer fishing where you you know you got you learned how to catch some of those bigger fish right yes. and you got some mm-hmm. really cool experiences in. yeah yeah like you needed that first before you got to where you're at today for right? sure for sure yeah. and like i talked to a lot of people and they're like man i haven't hooked into a big one yet this year you know and I'm, it's really bugging me and i you know what can i do to improve my odds and you know for me it's just like do nothing different you're if you're catching fish that means you're just you're bound to catch a big one. Right. It's just a matter of time. But so on just, but let's be really honest with people. Know. Like my honest answer to someone who asked me that would be like, listen, you gotta spend as many like sixteen hour days in the water as you can. Yeah. You just yeah, and, and that's gonna happen for you. And that's happened for me. But now mm-hmm. I don't spend sixteen hours in the water because of course. I don't really have one the time with the young family and stuff. But I also yeah. am like like I don't feel that pressure to be mm-hmm. like, I gotta fish from sun up to sundown. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. to catch the big old fish and if i don't catch the big old fish i'm cool with it you know right. and and but, listen every time i go out it's not like i'm hammering in an 18 inch brook all the time you know right. those guys so, are still kind of rare you know they're, they're far and few between they're yes. not they're not an every trip fish you yes know? but you might not feel that way if you hadn't exactly like let's say you let's say up to this point in your life you've never caught in a 20 inch brook trout yeah you'd probably be dying oh i got goals still dude right yeah you know yeah you're going <laughs> a two-footer yeah those That's are my you goal. know those are like extraordinary goals <laughs> you know and those are just goals that are just dumb luck yeah you know to catch a you know 26 inch brook trout you know like that's just dumb luck yep you know a guy i know a guy who caught you know a 23 inch brook trout in early july on a dry fly at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just, yeah. that stuff happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Never to me for some reason, but it no. happens all the time. I know right. it does. So, But it's it like, doesn't happen to people every time they go out. No, like, no, it's like, rare. Those are But it does happen yes. for different people. But right. there's no one who goes out there every day and hammers 20-plus no. inch, you know, trout and nope. with the same fly and stuff yep. like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's always yep. something freak. If they know? exist, I've never met them. Yeah. You know, so... Cool. But yeah, so let's go to our next topic. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about specific techniques mm-hmm. for each season that we feel are um, 
we feel are effective. And we're going to leave out the winter season um, just because we feel like we want to focus on when most people are getting on the water and stuff. And can you catch brookies in the winter, though? Let it be known that we probably fished 20 times last winter. Yeah. And we did very well. Yeah. Now. And I've never fished, like, I've probably fished 20 times in the last 10 years in the wintertime. Right. And then we went out like crazy this winter. So I don't want to, this winter was exceptionally warm. It was. So I don't want to say that the winter is a great time to go, but if there's a 40 degree day in February, don't be turned away from going to the river. Go, like, go, go, you know, especially if it's a. Saturday or Sunday, and you got nothing better to do. Yeah, you don't want to snow blow your driveway. You dress warm and go to the river because there are fish there, yeah, and they man. are willing to bite. Yeah. So, I mean, like aggressively too. Like, yes, not like just drifting and poking them in the nose. Like right. they're chasing. Yes, which so. was kind of cool. Yeah, you, you and I had a couple of days like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was wild. So yeah, we'll leave it out, Sick. but just let it be known that it is a possibility so yeah. if you have cabin fever too i yes. for me it's got to be it's got to be a 40 plus day though yeah. i got i got skinny little fingers so <laughs> yeah I you're can't cold you're, you're yeah, i get you, so cold yeah so i know quick, you man. do yeah i don't yeah. understand it i have like a pretty good percentage of body fat but mm. i swear none of it's on my fingers yeah well so. that doesn't bother me you know because oh, you're the, you're I'm the a, tough I'm, guy i'm the tough guy yeah yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're from lewis and auburn yeah man, you know Tough, tough place. Tough place to grow up. I'm from Westbrook. We're yep. down there. Softies. So. Softies grow yeah. up. When it's not a place. real mill town, right? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So uh, let's start with early spring. So when we talk about early spring, we're talking about pre-memorial, like before Memorial Day. So, you know, April 1st rolls around. It's the opening of the season traditionally. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of brook trout in most of your, like, you can't fish ponds at that point, right? They're still frozen. Yeah, they're still yeah, most of the state. Ice. Yeah. So let's talk. We'll talk rivers here. Okay. Um, early season. Are there brookies in the rivers? There are, not a lot, but there are. Yeah. You know, there definitely are, and they're coming back, right? Yeah. There are some brook trout that stay in the river all year. Yeah. They never leave. Yeah. So there are always trout in there. Um, the ones that have the choice to go to a lake. Often do. A lot of them do. Um, But there always are brook trout in the river. Yeah. Now, are we talking talking both wild and stock, do you think? Are we talking mostly wild? I mean, both, yes. Both, for sure. I'd say that the wild fish are more on a clock. They're more in tune with what's going on in the system. So... They're more likely to leave, more likely to come back. Whereas stocked fish, you know, they're not in tune. Yeah. They might not even know that they have the choice to go to a lake. So the stocked fish, I would say, are more likely to stick in the river year-round. However, wild fish, because I've fished wild rivers that have brook trout in them all year-round. So early spring, you know... We're talking April, April, April into, into May, mid-May. And depending where you are in the state, it's just different, right? Like if you're in For York sure. County, we could be doing something different in mid-May or early May. Whereas up north, like you might just be getting kind of into it because you just don't have a choice. Like some of those rivers still have ice in them in yes. like late April. Yes, you know? and there there might be ripping from yeah. snow melt, you know. What, so. What's the temperature you feel like they start to get active at? Oh, that's tough. Like It's tough like because... 40? Because I've caught below 40 before, yes. but... Anything below 40 is tough for a trout. Yeah. It's... 
you know, it's not as bad as catching them at temperatures above 70 as far as stress levels. But when you remove a trout from the water, anything below 40, you have real opportunity to damage gills and eyes because they're not meant to come out of the water at that temperature. Sure. So when you pick a brook trout up out of the water and it's 36 degrees, the light film over their eyes that protects them from you know fungal infections in the water typically freezes almost instantly. So I, That's nice. I try not <laughs> – I try not – like ice fishing, people will be like, well, how do you ice fish? And it's like, well, I typically don't take the water. I don't take the fish out of the hole, number one. Yeah. Number two. If, if you're going to release. I'm obviously. Right, if you're going to release. Yeah. Or I just fish till I catch my limit, and then yeah. that's it, you right. know. So, and I, I do very little ice fishing now. And most guys who ice fish, it's it's pretty traditional to keep your fish. Yes. I mean, a lot of people aren't throwing them back too right. often. So. And so, yeah, so when I'm, you know, fishing early, there's not a lot of fish there, especially in April. Not a lot of fish because there's still ice on the lakes. Yeah. So nothing's moved up into the rivers. And what do you mean? What's moving up? Smelts. Yeah. Or suckers. Yeah. Nothing's moving up. So smelts come first. So we'll just start with smelts. Smelts haven't really run up into their, uh, up the rivers to, to spawn. So fish aren't chasing them up. Yeah. So, you know, early spring, there are fish there. Nymph heavy. And big old streamers, right? Because there's still there's still bugs crawling around the bottom for that sure. Time of the year. All all year, all right. year. They're not like oh, it's winter time. I'm not moving around. Right, I mean, they're there. Small, typically in the winter, small nymphs are moving around. Yeah. So if you're throwing like large stone flies, it's probably not going to work because yep. there's not a lot of those bugs moving around on the river bottom. The ones that are moving are, you know, really tiny. Uh, mayflies, really tiny blue winged dolls, really tiny midges that are getting ready to hatch. So, like, you know, teeny tiny bugs are moving yeah, around. Midges, midges are bugs that actually hatch, like, year-round, year, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're always kind of moving around. So yeah. it's never, you know, if you're looking for a bug or if you really want a nymph early spring, yeah, midge. Yep. That's, like... Do you, do you remember the first time that you caught a fish on, like, a size 18 or size 20, like, nymph? I, like a big fish, not oh, like yeah. a little... I, I use 18s... That's like probably my most common sized fly I use is eighteen. Yeah, I remember just not being a believer in it. I yes. was like, "That's bull! This thing's the size of my pinky fingernail." <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, yeah. "There's no way I'm catching a fish on that." And then yeah. I and then I caught a twenty inch salmon. Yeah. on a size like eighteen yeah. caddis larva, and I was like, "Okay, okay, I'm a believer. I'm a believer." But isn't it crazy that that can like in barbless a lot of time yeah. too? Like it can stay in their mouth and yeah, it's I mean, go through the fight. Also, like a fish's diet. Primarily is composed of things size twenty and smaller. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. So it's like people. You're just chowing on little stuff right, all little day. Little stuff all day long. So if you like I got the chance to work with fish for quite a few years and anytime you do a gut analysis, you're like midge, 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 midge. Okay, there's one caddis, you know, yeah. midge, midge. It's all midges. It's all tiny stuff that you can't even ID because it's so small. Sure. Like you know, so they're sucking down small stuff all day long. Yep. And that's what they're looking for. And they're not like, um, like a lot of people flip rocks over mm-hmm. and they'll be like, oh, they're like, they're not going by and like just sucking on rocks, are they? Like they're waiting for stuff to get dislodged and floating down. Yeah. Especially the ones that are sitting in the current. Cause midges, like midges, for instance, like mm-hmm. they don't swim, right? No. They're like crawlers. Nope. 
Pretty much no. Pretty much none of the aquatic invertebrates. Yeah, they can swim up, but that doesn't. They're still bad swimmers, though. You know, they can yeah. swim up, but yeah, that's about it. And half of them, like mayflies, they don't swim up. They have a gas yeah. that floats them up. So they're not swimming; they're floating up. Sure. And you know, the big bugs don't get dislodged very often because they're strong. Yeah. They can withstand the current. It's the small ones that get dislodged often because they can't withstand the, the current, you know. Yeah. So in the spring, when flows are up, a lot of smaller aquatic invertebrates get dislodged. Yep. So nymphing. So nymphing's great. Nymphing's great, super small. You might need to do the same drift over and over and over and over in the yep. spring. Like in the spring... Because the fish won't move a lot. No, they will No. You're going to poke them right in the nose. Right in the nose. And like... You might want to move a spot, but yeah. if you're comfortable, you say, hey, here's a nice deep pool. It's slow-moving water. There's probably a brook trout in there. Just stay there yeah. for 100 casts because moving is pointless. Right? A lot it's, of the time. It's pointless at that time because yeah. there's going to be if – if you're not catching any fish in this perfect pool, it's likely that you're not going to catch any fish in that suboptimal pool right up above it. You know, right. So just hammer it. No. Now you say you say that there's not a lot of there's not a ton of big bugs moving early in the in the spring. No, no. like your big stonefly nymphs, right? Yeah, Helgramites. Um, do you? How do you get your How do you get your little tiny nymphs down? Because they're on the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. They're on like the bottom of the water column. Yeah. So a lot of guys are you know split shot heavy and stuff, but I know you. You're not a big split shot guy. I never, I've never used. A split shot in Maine, never. Someone will probably yell at me for that because yeah. they're like, oh, of course you have to use split shot to get down. I never do. Instead, I use a heavier nymph. Yeah. So like a tungsten bead stonefly. But you're not necessarily thinking you're going to hook up on that no. so much. It's just your way of getting down and no. maybe hooking up Yes, on it, right? like it's almost to the point where it's essentially <laughs> a split shot, Yeah. you know, because nothing is ever going to bite that. Um, well, listen, you're about to kill the split shot market with this comment because <laughs> at the end of the day, if you think about it, it's, it's almost like the, uh, it's almost like the dry dropper thing. It's like why fish, why use an indicator? Why not yes. use a fly as an indicator? Just yes. in case. Right. Just in like, case. Just in case they're going to take that big Just fly, in case. You know? And it's, you know, I don't know if I've ever caught a fish on a big stone fly nymph in April. You know, I don't even know if I have. Uh, I, I don't, and I fish them a lot right. as, as but, my dropper, I mean, right. as my lead fly. But there's always a chance, yeah. you know, I guess. So nymphing, and then, of course, there is that chance that there's, you know, a stray smelt swimming up the stream. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you do want to throw, you know, an 8-inch streamer, yep. you know. Because if there is a brook trout in there, and... It has seen one smelt swim by or float by. Then it's in the brain. It's in the fish brain that, okay, that's another food source that I need to be on the lookout for. Sure. You throw a honk and smelt streamer and just dead float it by. The brook trout says, hey, I just saw that. You know, it goes and sucks it down. Now, are you, are you that time of year, are you a big, like, um, like you're just dead drifting? Like a, some sort of white, white yeah. pattern that's anywhere from what? Two to five inches long. Yes, and um, I recently just tied a fly. It'll be coming out tomorrow. On oh, my, exclusive! On my, yes, exclusive drop. Huh? Yes, on my Instagram. Forget page. the PlayStation Five. Man. Yes, and Thanks I dropping the new streamer. I'm pretty sure it's going to change my smelts fishing game. I'm okay. pretty sure. We'll find out. 
I guess I'll spoil the secret. I'm basically taking the saltwater hollow fly yep. and turning it into a smell pattern. Interesting. Because I'm starting to believe, we're getting off topic, but I'm starting to believe that fish remember sensations similar to how we remember sounds as signs of something. Yeah. So when you heard a dinner bell go off at lunchtime for school, you knew that it was time to eat. And the way that fish sense vibrations in the water is through their lateral line, and they they hear it. Yeah. They It's the same mechanism in the lateral line as we have in our ears. They have small cilia, these little hairs, yeah. that sense vibrations. And that's the same thing that we have with ears. So I think that if the fish feels a sensation that ma- that can match a natural sensation, then that will key them in to say... This is food coming by me. Sure. I've felt this before. This is a smelt swimming by me. So you think, so the hollow fly will have a little more like uh, pulsation? It pushes the same, it has the same dynamics as a smelt. When dead drifting or stripped? Probably both really because it's yeah. pushing water either way because it's the density of it, like how it's pushing. Strip As prob- opposed to like a, tr- like black ghost is a traditional smelt pattern. Yes, where right. it's very sleek and slim. There's, it's not pushing the same amount of water. When you see a yeah. smelt, they're the dense little hot dog. Yeah. Know? A black ghost is not pushing the water the same. True. So, I mean, it's it's a theory. It's a working theory. But I, I don't see why fish couldn't remember sensations like we remember sounds to key us into eating to a car honking like how do you know when you hear a car honk you know instantly that you're doing something wrong or right. like you're, you 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 right, right right and so a fish it would make sense you know for them to remember sensations yeah. so that they know ooh, i feel that it's a smelt somewhere around me i need to get ready to eat yeah. and they see it and they go eat it so i i think I'm hoping it will help. I'm hoping. My yeah. that's that's my thought process behind that's it. That's so really cool. That's the uh that's the smelt and early spring. That's the really only time I fish them is in the spring cuz yeah. that's the only time that they're really around. No. No, a lot of our rivers, right? Like a lot of our rivers are good sized rivers. They come from a dam. Yeah, you know, they're 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 either bottom or top release from a dam, right? Yeah. But a lot of times like they're also going into a lake. Mm-hmm. Right? Those rivers are running into another body of water. Yep. So it's a smelter running up, up the river, yep. but sometimes they're also floating dead drift down. Yes. So it's like there's a double effect, right? Like they're coming mm-hmm. out of that dam from up above, whether they're just being like what chopped up in the turbine or they're like, they just get killed going through the dam. Basically they get stunned or yep. there's like a yep. blunt force trauma yep. to them or something. Right? And that's the dead drift effect, you know, yep. raise, raise floating smelt. Tough to beat. We were just talking about it. Tough to beat a raised floating smelt at you know at the bottom of a dam, you know, or after yeah. after a turbine or something. Well, like, you'll see them, man. But it's a short window too. It's not like oh, it's yeah. for weeks. It's like yeah. Yeah, you yeah. get this little window, ten days or so yeah. usually. And but the dead drift out of the dam, like that, that's all year. Yeah. You know? So the, I I I guess I lied a little bit. There's a few places where I will fish a floating smelt all year. Yeah. Because smelts do get turned up in those turbines all yeah. year. But, They're in the lake above or whatever. Right. But as far as smelt swimming upstream, that's just early spring. That's and that's, spring. that's it. That's yep. the only time I, so. Interesting. We'll find out. I'll have to wait. For, I catch a lot more on dead drift or on a swing. Yeah. Like the swing I'll catch The swing. Them. The swing. Yeah. But I'm not like ripping it across or anything. I'm just no. letting it like naturally just kind of, I but don't know, just get I across. S- I see people ripping it across. 
and having success. Yeah. I've also done that too, man. I've cast upstream and then yeah. I'll just immediately yeah. strip. Strip, 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 strip. And then strip. I catch them yeah. and it'll be like early May, late April. I'm like, yep. wow, that's weird. I yeah. mean, so I guess the point is try dead drifting. Yep. Try stripping it downstream For back sure. to you yep. and try stripping it back upstream. Like yep. it's all, it's all potentially going to work. But yep. let's be honest though. You're going to mostly early spring, you're mostly going to have slow days. Yes. You're going to strike out a lot, yeah. especially if you go early April. Yep. Like, the season in Maine opens up April 1st, and it's such a tease because... Well, everyone wants to get out of the house. Everyone wants to get out, but there's, like, no fish to be caught, yeah. you know, very few. Yeah. And, like, you know, you will catch big... I, I remember spending my starting years in southern Maine just going to all these, like, rivers that traditionally get stocked in, like, mm-hmm. early May or yeah. whatever. And I'd go right, you know, opening day, I'd get out there and just skunk after skunk <laughs> after skunk. Because there's not really, like, fish there. They're yeah, not holding yeah. there. It's tough. It's tough fishing April. You know, and some guys have it figured out. They have these little holes. Like, you know, I'm sure you have a hole or two and where you don't do great. But, you know, you know, fish hang out there early season. Yeah, and, you know, yes. you can go there and catch a few fish here and there. But yeah. it's you don't have 20 fish days in April. You don't, Like, no. April 1st through April 14th, you just... You don't That's have twenty fish. That's pretty rare, man. We had we had one day where we caught nine. Uh, me and a buddy caught nine brookies in three hours that were like sixteen, eighteen inches, and they were just taking a small little PT. Yeah, you know, little pheasant tail nymph. And but like, listen, that doesn't happen every year, right? That's yeah. I haven't been able to recreate that day in six years. You yeah. Know? So, um, just to stay on pre Memorial Day, we're talking maybe. We're talking all over the state, but I would say maybe mid-May in the southern part of the state, you could probably start to chuck some drives here and there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you oh, even earlier. Mostly stock. Mostly or, stock. Yeah, for stock. Yeah, trail. you basically have to wait for the stocking truck unless you want to try on those little tiny, teeny tiny native streams for brook trout, which, yep. you know, those you can catch brook trout early. Yeah. April. It's not. It's much easier to catch the, the, yeah. So, like, April, if you're really itching to catch a brook trout, Try chasing blue lines in April. Yeah. The water might be high, which makes it kind of difficult, but also brook trout will pod up in the big pools, the yep. slow-moving pools. Yep. And, I mean, these are only, you know, four to eight-inch brook trout, but, sure. you know, they're still native little brookies. So. What's your uh, What's your favorite early season dry fly? Early season dry fly. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Curious if it's the same or similar to mine. Early, like, I'm talking, like, mid-May. Mid-May for trout. For yeah. trout. Yeah. Well, it could be, no, uh, it's probably a parachute blue-winged olive. Interesting. That's probably my favorite. Like size 18, yep. somewhere around there with like a nice parachute though. You know, a good fluffy parachute. That's probably my favorite drive for May. The, the, and the parachute is not, he's not riding all the way on top of the water. His body's in the water, but the, yeah, his body's that's how sunk. a traditional parachute's tied. Yeah. So the and then sitting on the there's water. There's like the Hendrickson's and stuff. And I, you know, I, I like, they're nice and I like them, but I don't know. There's something about a nice blue winged olive that I just, I really yeah. enjoy. Yeah. 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 And there's such like a, there's such like a shoulder season drive i mean you don't see them all through the summer and stuff no. really and in the winter time not too much spring and fall yeah they're a shoulder season that's bug and i think they actually do hatch all year yeah but a brook trout when it has a hendrickson floating by and a size 20 blue winged olive it's going to take the hendrickson a lot of you the know, time. They're, ready to, they're ready they're ready to get fed yeah, up yeah. and they're ready to move and 
what back is, on the pounds. What so. is yours? What is your favorite? You know, Early season. Mid, yeah. Oh man, I'm a huge, I'm a huge like clean camera guy. Like, you love clean cameras. I love clean you cameras, love clean cameras. Oh, <laughs> I love clean cameras. I'll throw like I'll try a different couple different colors before I'll even switch patterns. You know. Sure. And yeah. Sometimes the colors work. They yeah. Do. Clinks so, are great. Clinks yeah. are great. Easy meal. Yeah. Isaiah, if you're listening, colors do matter, my friend. You're not. You're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> You're not wrong, <laughs> and even Greg will admit it. Colors do matter. Yeah, I mean they're like sixth or seventh on the chain of things that matter. Yeah, yeah, colors. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right, so uh, let's let's talk late spring. So post Memorial Day to like okay. like mid July, right? Because like mid July is kind of the point where the rain stops happening, the rivers get lower, yep. the temperatures go up. Sure. Yeah. So this is this is to me. This is the money season, really. Yep. I mean, Absolutely. some people love fall a little more than it, but I'm a huge Memorial Day to July 4th type, type guy. Yep. So. Nope. I think that this is the money season. This is where you can have 40 fish days. Like, you can. You, you can. I mean, it's yep. not like it's possible. Catching 20 fish in a day come June is not – I don't want to say it's – common but it's certainly not uncommon your odds are a lot better you know if you go fish for 13 14 hours in a day and you can't catch 20 fish you know like then you well that time of year that time of year yeah Yeah. in june you know mid-june like you know that's catching one fish an hour basically yeah mid-june like when it's pot when everything's popping off you should you should be able to in most spots this isn't a knock if you if you're not able if you struck out even even a novice Really put in a hard 14-hour day. You yep. know, I have faith that they could catch 20 fish if they tallied sure. up. Even the six-inch brookies that they catch, you know, yep. that's one, you know. And the beauty about that time of year, too, though, is, like, you, listen, you can you can fish 8 to 4. I mean, you don't have to be right. Yeah. smoke on the water 5 nope. a.m. out there. Like, you don't – I mean, it helps. Yeah, it helps. And it's going to be pretty good still. But you're not into that, like, the old mid- midday lull, you know, yeah. when you get later in yeah. the season. So. I mean, you can get out there eight to four, like you said. And yeah, you're. You may not catch twenty fish, but you're gonna get like twenty interactions. Oh, most of the I mean, time, it, it, yes, know? at least, yeah, at least. And then, you know, that's you have, come, you know, Memorial Day, you have the sucker spawn. Yeah. Which, that's huge, right? Everyone's chucking eggs, which you know. If that's your thing, but that's, they don't eat those eggs for too long, though. From no, I mean, some people argue that, but but I've found that. They don't just chew on eggs for like two weeks. Like they yeah. get pretty full of them at some point, mm-hmm. and uh, then you get to start switching up, right? Yeah. And that's I don't want to go too much into secrets at that point, I guess. But I mean, just because people are chucking eggs all day, like you're still gonna catch a few on eggs, but you're not gonna. Uh, there's other stuff that they're gonna take a little more willingly because they're looking for a little oh, change in the diet. I absolutely. Mean, you got to think eating eggs all day, you're gonna be pretty gorged out. I mean, you can't just eat that much protein in a day and yeah they're and, gonna start eating smaller stuff and know? these fish have just come up from the lakes yeah like so come sucker spawn you know come memorial day that the majority of the fish that are going to leave the lake and enter the river have done so yeah so a lot of them haven't seen a fly for six months sure you know yeah so they kind of have forgotten the whole fly concept with a hook and line and indicators and whatever. Yeah. So they're much more willing to take a wet fly or yeah. a soft tackle yeah. or a dry fly or a nymph, right? They're like much more. So 
you know, if you want to chuck eggs, that's great. I don't know. It works. I know it works. Well, some fish, at some point, you got to think the fish is just, all right, they just gorge on smelt. Yeah. Now they're gorging on eggs. Yep. Like, at some point, they can't just keep eating these giant meals and they yes. start to start to pick off all the little stuff at some yeah, point or for sure. something different. And then uh, they start to see more, you know, food on top. So they'll come up a little more. Mm-hmm. And, um, Mate, from, from the eggs, from the sucker spawn, you jump right into mayflies. Yep. That's your first big bug interaction with brook trout. So if you're looking to catch a brook trout, come... On a dry fly. On a dry fly, come... What, mid- first week of June. For, yeah, late May, first week of June. Yeah. Have Hendrickson's in your pocket. Yep. Um, Do you like a nice high-floating Hendrickson, or are you like a parachute Hendrickson guy where it's lower? Um, depends on what's happening around me. Yeah. You know, if I see a bunch of... Hendrickson's floating like little sailboats around me yeah. and fish are gorging on them, then yeah, I like a high. I'm all about matching uh, posture. That's a huge thing. That Once I started matching posture, I started catching a lot more oh, fish. Interesting. And, and so like if you see mayflies are hatching and you're throwing a high floating mayfly, you're probably not going to catch many fish. Yep. And what's hatching? You mean you're seeing them come up out yeah, of the like, water, yes. like they're, they're coming wings, yeah, right? They're coming out and then they're sitting and then they're sort of like right. flexing. And if you see fish doing the porpoise, where they do that really they come up and slowly their back comes out of the water, those are they're taking emergers. Yeah. You know? So that's when you throw the clink cameras. Yep. Clink cameras. Something that's low profile. Yes. It's not riding high. In on the, the film water. there, yeah. And so yeah. But not necessarily two inches down, right? Like no. it's like literally no, no, just yeah. dipping under. Yeah, in the film. Bit. And if you don't know what a clink hammer is, go do your research and start fishing clink yeah. hammers. Go look at them. Aaron will appreciate it. Number one <laughs> and number two, he is well, he is right. It is an effective. It's super yeah. effective. At at some point, fish are gonna smart to clink hammers and they're gonna be something else because <laughs> everybody's fishing the damn things now. <laughs> so you got mayflies, and then come June, in every river. The king, the king comes out. Caddis. <laughs> the king. The king arrives. Yeah. The king arrives. If you can yeah. catch the first big caddis hatch of the year, you're gonna have a great you have a great time. You're gonna have a great time. I got a good story for you. Ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. So I caught so morning, I'm fishing some egg patterns, which I know you hate, but I'm doing it, okay? And I'm catching a few fish in the morning. Like mm-hmm. like three or four. Nothing crazy. Yeah. And then like had some lunch around one PM. All these Hendrickson's, just giant mayflies, just start blowing up the river. Mm-hmm. And I see trout eating them. So then I, I catch on Hendrickson's, okay? And then a couple hours later, it's like, and that died. Like, it was like sure. 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And it was just Quick. mayhem for 20 minutes. Yeah. It was cool. It was like, play the fish in quick so you can get on the next one type yeah. deal. Yeah. Like, get it while yes. the getting's good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, two hours later, I'm seeing caddis on the water. So then I'm fishing caddis. <laughs> so it's like, you're literally going from, like, this, like, the tail end of, like, the egg crap that goes on, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I say crap just because so many people are into it and they just stack up in the little, you know, in a little, like, uh, factory factory line, it feels yes. like, yeah. you know. It's not crap. It's not. Eggs. eggs aren't crap. I just well, don't. Part of nature. I just don't fish them. Yeah. Because, like, it's just, I just don't want to use an egg. Like, I, some, some guy, I wrote a blog about it. Hopefully some people read that blog. If not, you can go look it up on my website. But a guy was like, called me like such a loser or like something. And I was like, dude, I, it's, I have nothing, like you probably don't fish 
double tungsten stoneflies like I I do like right. or you know like some or something. I was like, it's not a knock on anyone. I don't know, it's, yeah. But just I just don't. I don't know. I just don't want to fish them. You know what I mean? I just don't want to fish them. Can't we all just get along? Yeah, I, I you, know? you know, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, you're still friends with me, even though I fish. Them. I know, right? Mm-hmm. That's I know. That's what I'm saying. We go another, f- another. We call those dirty flies, though. And another dirty season, early season fly is the, the what? The what sand, the sand one, the sand one worm. Yeah, <laughs> but and that's again. I wouldn't. You know, I got away from rod and reel to get away from bobber and worm. Yeah. So to go back would just be like a lie to myself of why. Well, I mean, that's what a strike indicator with a, with an egg and a worm on it. Exactly. Is. So <laughs> like I, that's what I tried to get away from. So yeah. to go back to it feels like well, hey, I originally tried to get away from. I this. get it, buddy. You know. So it's it. like again, if you want to use it, I have use use it all you want. They catch fish, especially yeah. early season. You know, they do. They 30, do. Thirty flies, but and I'm starting. It's funny you say that because I'm starting like when I'm not when I'm guiding so much, but when I'm personally fishing, I'm starting mm-hmm. to get away from even nymphing in general because mm-hmm. I'm like, at what point is this not even fly fishing? Mm-hmm. Like you got these heavy weighted flies and they're yep. propelling your long leader. It's yep. like some people only have a fly line for God's sake, and yep. it's like thirty feet a leader. And um, for me, I'm like, I know it's effective. I know you can catch fish like that. It's yep. great. I've done it. I'm yes. into it. But I'm like, all right, maybe I'll. T- Maybe since I've kind of done well with that realm, now I'll take on the next challenge. And like, of course. I just fish dries like crazy once I start seeing dry flies. Yes. It's exciting. And I know that I'm going to, like, I'm making them move sometimes. Yep. And here's my dry fly theory that I mentioned earlier I want to talk to you about. So, do you ever feel like when you're fishing dries that there's nothing hatching going on around? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see any bugs around you. Um, not even hard ones to see, like flying ants and stuff like that. Yeah. But... Fly, fish are eating your dry flies and you're like why is that you know what i mean there's nothing going on so sometimes i feel like if you just drift uh fly over a certain area for like 40 50 drips in a row, in a row mm-hmm. i feel like i'm creating a hatch <laughs> i think i'm like legit or not even a hatch but like creating an event where there's just like bugs over the water well i'll I mean? say i'll say you're definitely not creating a hatch <laughs> I'm not a hatcher that's coming up. I'm getting, no, I'm getting, no, yes. I understand what you're saying, though. And, you think um, it's a bullshit theory or what? Yes, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> well, I'm sticking to it. What I think it is is that, my own hatch. is that the hatches have happened. So, like, let's say, have you ever eaten an apple in the wintertime? Yeah, I mean, you can get them from. Sure, you get them from Hannaford. Yeah, but they're coming from, like, South America. Yeah, but whatever. But you don't know that. You just go to Hanford. True. You grab an apple because you know that you can eat the apple. Yeah. You're not like, wait, this isn't in season. Or this isn't, this shouldn't be here right now. Yeah. But you've eaten an apple before, so you know that you can eat it again. Right. The fish are the same way. They saw that hatch at some point. Yeah. You know? And so, like, let's say you're tossing up caddis in June, and there's nothing hatching. But it hatched yesterday. So the fish know that it just happened yesterday. Sure. They ate it yesterday and they were fine. Why not eat it again today? Yeah. That's what I think it is, is that it's in the brain. It's up in that, in that, you know, recent memory of a fish where they're saying, okay, these are the things that are around that I can eat right now. And there's one floating by right now. I should go eat that. Yeah. You know, that's right. what I think it is. Right. So I don't it's think always, And that's the other thing for people who haven't fished a lot or maybe you're just getting into it. Mm-hmm. Like... You go out and fish for brook trout, and there's the potential that you catch five different brookies on five different flies. Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely. it's not just keyed on one thing all the time. And mm-hmm. I mean, dude, I caught on a mouse one time in the middle of the day. Yeah. 
Yes. At, it, it was Mar- It was May 23rd, I remember. It was ridiculous. It was like, I don't yep. know why I was throwing it. I was just trying something yes. different, which yeah. I often like to be a little quirky like that. Losing your mind a little and bit. And sometimes that shit just works, man. Yeah, and like, especially late spring to summer, the time we're talking about right now, like, brook trout are not difficult to fool. No. It, they might be difficult to land in some spots, but to actually get them to bite to have an interaction with them brook trout are not hard they're they're easy so if you're like new or you're feeling tentative about chasing brook trout please don't because they are not hard to fool right especially from late spring that june july time they're extremely easy to fool they might be hard to catch but you know they're they're willing man they're they're not so willing they're not finicky fish for the most part no so we all right. So we talked about kind of the first mayflies coming in, right? Yep. Um, and then you get caddis. Yep. Before okay. we jump to stoneflies, because that's usually the next big. Yep. Kind of, and we're talking dries here too. Like, so to go back to nymphs and stuff, Greg was talking earlier about fishing like PTs in May, right? Yep. Like like stuff that's a mayfly presentation. Mm-hmm. At what point do you start fishing your caddis nymphs in the season? It depends on the river first, because there are some rivers that you can really fish it. All year, because yeah. there are some there are caddis rules all in Maine for sure, but there are some rivers that have exceptionally big caddis hatches. They just seem to have more, and you'll know when you go there and you hit a hatch. You're just like, okay, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before, you know. But for the most part, I start fishing them in uh, June, mid May, mid May to June, early June. That's when I really start hammering them because. Those larvae are starting to move around to yeah. get ready to hatch. So they're changing their location. They're getting better position. And it's not the little ones that are moving around at that time. It's the big ones. Yeah. The ones that you're actually throwing. The size 16s and the size 14s. Yeah, not the know, little tiny ones. Not the size 20s. Now, are you a guy, like, you flip over a rock and you'll see those little caddis worms, right? The caddis larvae. Sure. And... If it's like a really drab olive, and then some rivers have like a really bright green, like almost yep. like a like a chartreuse crate, yes. like literally. Yes, like bright, bright, bright. Are you like, I got to match that, or are you just like, eh, kind of whatever? Because some of them are white too, right? F- flipping over one rock, I don't want to, I hate to spoil anyone who believes this, but flipping over one, even flipping over 10 rocks tells you almost nothing. Right, it's you're not wrong. It tells no. you almost nothing. Yeah. It tells you what you already know that there are many types of caddis in there, yep. and that there are many types of pheasant tail looking bugs in there, mayflies, yep. all different sizes, and there's some honking stoneflies. Yeah. So, for me, that's pretty typical. In that's June. typical in June. Yeah, like that's what you see. Typical. And so, if you flip over rocks, right, and you see a bunch of mayflies on this rock, you're like, okay, I'm gonna throw f- pheasant tails. That logic to me is irrational. Yep. Because you just flipped over a rock, yep. right? And like, there's nine million rocks out front of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. True. So it's like, how and do they're you not mean? flipping rocks over themselves? They're hitting dislodged nymphs. And you're flipping over a rock relatively close <coughs> to shore. Right. The fish are eating bugs that are living in the middle of the river. Typically, which yeah. is much different than the shoreline community. Sure. So again, your logic is flawed big yep. time. So I I typically don't do the, the matching thing. Yeah. I just know that there's 
Nobody um, ever flips rocks in the middle of the river because it's too deep. It's too deep. Usually. You can't do it, right? You, you know, you really kill a better way to do it is to get a net. So I don't do it enough. I do have one, but I, you know. Like uh, a seine? Yes, to get a really fine seine and go out towards the middle and just stick it in the water for, you know, a minute. And then after that minute, pick it up and look. Okay, what's floating by? Yeah. That will give you a true indication of what the fish. And you're talking like a foot underwater. Or are you are you able to get it down? A Usually few feet the seines are like they're like a couple feet tall. Yeah. So and you can kind so you of run it vertical versus horizontal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Run it. Yeah. Run it vertical. Yeah. And then. Or you could run it horizontal, but then you're usually your, your window of floating is is that makes thinner, sense. you know. Yeah. So you can and whatever if you put it if you don't get anything, then sure you can drop it down deeper. But if you put it kind of in the middle of the water column, because again the rivers usually aren't that deep. Yeah. Too deep to reach down and grab a rock, but not too deep to kind of stick a net down, you know, and 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 see. So I used to see a lot. I had one that would go yeah. across my net opening. Yep. Yep. And it would just kind of they're like, great. Last, it was like elastic on yeah, around. They're great. Cool. And they give so. you a better idea of what's actually floating yeah. by than flipping over rocks. Flipping over rocks, though, is good for getting to know the community of insect life. Yep. So, like, you flip over a rock every time you go fish a river, you get to know that insect community. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll give, there's, yeah, whatever, the West Branch of the Penobscot, every single rock that you flip over has caddis larvae. Every yep. single one. Yep. And so that tells me that there must be an inordinate amount of caddis larvae. Of course, there, yeah. You know, like millions. Whereas an, another river I go to, there might be caddis larvae, but not in that abundance. Yeah. You know, and so that tells me, okay, I'm not going to look for a color. I just, I know there's three or four colors that they generally are, and I'm going to fish those, you know. So yeah. I, again, I don't think that it's color dependent. I think it's more size. Yep. Because the bug is floating by so quickly, you know, they don't have time to inspect color. No. no. So, you know, and even when it's down there, the color that you think it is is not because color changes with the depth of the water. So what the fish is actually seeing is just a shadow, basically. So, Let me ask you this question with nymphs. Are you a, uh, just on that topic, though... Mm -hmm. How do you feel about flashing them? Stuff with hot spots, stuff with like a little shine to them. You know, great, I think it's great, stuff. especially in the summer. And a lot of bugs, if you study any type of aquatic invertebrate, you know that they have a lot of iridescence in them. Yeah, and that in the sunlight is shiny. It does it shines. So, you know, these uh, rainbow warriors or you know oh, those you know they're flashy. Yeah. And I think it just kind of, you know, especially in the sun, it just gets that little glimmer and it catches a fish's eye real quick. And it's yeah. like, ooh, I've seen that before. Right. I've seen and I ate that and it tasted good. So I'm going to go do try it again. Right. So. So they're actually, those nymphs are actually imitating something that looks more natural. Whereas we look at it and go, there's nothing down there that looks like yeah, this. Yeah. There's a lot of the bugs have. It's because of the translucent. Yeah. They have the like a iridescent translucent and they're bright. A lot of them have UV that a lot of fish can see. And so. So cool. When you get underneath the water, things are, you know, from our perspective, look drab. But yeah, what a like, fish actually sees is not drab at that's all. That's like when you're throwing hare's ears and you're throwing, like, right. you know, light olive nymphs and stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what I see under rocks. Yes. But, yes. But, like you're saying, they may see them with different kind of colors to them. Right. I yeah. have a lot. Of, I love fishing hotspots mm-hmm. on nymphs. And by hotspots, we mean 
using a bright color behind yep. the bead or at the head of the fly usually or somewhere, yep. maybe in the middle sometimes. But And when you really take a bug and look at it, a lot of them have bright spots. Yep. Like if you look at a BWO larvae, they're very drab, but they have spots on them that are very bright, you yep. know, and you're like, oh, that's kind of a bright spot. Or a caddis, you know, larvae. On their stomach, they are very bright, you know, a lot of them. They have a really dark back, and it's really drab, but on the bottom, it's, like, bright, sure. you know. And so it makes sense that a bright spot would would work, right, yep. because a lot of bugs do. Like the stoneflies, they have the yellow, like, really, some of them, when you flip them over. Yellow and white. Yellow, like, bright, you know, like, yep. really bright. So it makes sense that, that some of these hot spots work, like. Well, and while we're at it, because we did talk about with the early spring stuff, late spring stuff, so. Um, late spring again, post Memorial Day through like mid July. So when you're fishing mayfly nymphs, you're mostly dead drifting. Yep. Are you hitting on the swing sometimes when the fly's coming up? Sometimes, you know, like sometimes I'll trail a nymph with a soft tackle yep. or a wet fly, yep. like an emerger, you know, and then you can dead drift it and then you can play the swing out. Right. And it works really well in June. And those July. soft tackles can imitate a mayfly, they can imitate a caddis, yeah. they can even imitate smaller stones. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, any, not anything. all stones are huge. Right. And anything, flies. anything. You know, just yeah. for from a fish's perspective, it's an easy meal yep. sitting in the film of the water. Yep. You know, who cares what bug it is? It's easy, you yep. know, easy to eat. So. Now, were you putting a lot of action on your mayflies when they're on top? Like if you're fishing a dry, like a Hendrickson dry or something like that? Or mayflies, no action whatsoever. Just dead drifted. Because they... They don't move a lot. They don't move. They yeah. just sit up there. And I often think that mayflies are like, maybe the fish can't see me if I don't move. Right. You know. And we and to be to be clear with people, we're talking, we've been talking about rivers a lot. Yes. We haven't gone back to ponds No, too we much. have not. Um, but just to kind of fast forward a little bit. So we talked about mayflies. Caddis, now when you're fishing caddis dries, mm-hmm. those first kind of dry fly caddis, do you find early season that action on your caddis really good or still dead drifting them? I... Do both, but caddis are like the schizos of the bug world. Yeah. You know, they never, unless they're dead, they don't stand still. Yeah, they're the ADHD kids of the world. And so (laughs) I twitch it a lot, you know, and there are times where I dead drift it, but a lot of the times I twitch it, especially at the end. I'll always let it swing out. If I'm using a caddis, I'll always let it swing out and kind of... It's called skating it. Yeah. You know, Bring where your rod like, tip up. Really, yeah. Lift your rod tip up and let this caddis kind of just dance along man, the top I watch of the so water. many people, they'll get to the swing part and then just recast. Yeah. And swing that's, part and recast. I'm like, man, you're just. I lo- catch like half my fish on the swing, right. you know. And like, what are you losing by letting it just swing back to the shore right. a little bit? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, why pick up there? At yeah. That point? Makes no sense. So if you're looking for brook trout, oftentimes they key in on the movement yeah. to begin with. And they're like, you know, that. That distinguishes a real bug from a fly. Yep. It's that movement. And, like, you can't imitate it. When you see a caddis dancing on top of the water or when it emerges, like, it emerges so quickly out of the water, you can't yep. imitate that. But you can try, and twitching your rod tip or letting it skate, that's an attempt at, you know, yep. making a fish think, hey, that behavior of that fly is acting natural, so I should go eat it, you know. I'll, and so I'll give away a little secret that I, that I do with a lot of my clients and probably something you do naturally but um not everybody does from what i see just watching i watch people a lot too man sure i do i just like to i like to to see and and i often watch people on a a side tangent 
I'm like, wow, they're a beautiful caster. Wow, they're a great caster. Like, I don't cast as well as some people do, but I'm mm. such a short game guy. Yes, right. That's where I have all my success. So, yeah. But what I was going to say is with caddis, what I like to do, a lot of people will fish when you have slow water between you and a faster run with like some mm-hmm. good, you know, white water, some good riffles or whatever. A lot of people fish that seam in between and they'll twitch it, right? They'll high yeah. stick it, like you're saying, yeah. they'll twitch it around. But what I like to do, I like to cast it into the fast water Mm -hmm. and then bring my rod tip up and then let it twitch out back into the slow water. Slow water, sure. It's almost like it's on the highway, right? And it's coming off the highway on the off ramp. Yeah. And man, do fish just slam it at that point. It's like a big pickoff point for them, an ambush point. That we talked about earlier, that transition zone. Yeah. If you can find a transition zone, fish chill there because they see, they look for exactly what you just did is a fish coming from the fast water. They're coming, a, a bug a coming from the fast, fast water to the slow water, and yeah. then it's easy pickings, oh, you know? Hammer it. So, that's awesome. So, um, yeah. the last bug to kind of talk about for late spring and summer, stoneflies. Now, I, like, I know you. You love fishing stonefly nymphs. Love it. And um, I I always have a stonefly nymph on all through the month of June. Yeah. Like, no matter what. I, I think they're great. Yeah. They're fantastic. Stoneflies are... We're so lucky to have them in Maine, you know, because like, you know, out west you have salmon flies, stone flies, you know, we only have one prolific big bug. Yep. Like big, you know, there's hexes on ponds, which we'll get to in a second, but the only big one in the rivers is the stone fly. Yep. You know, you and have... mostly golden stones, but there's dark, there's dark bodied ones too. Yes. Um... But a lot, I don't know, there's both, the, right? Yes, the majority, though, are golden stones. Like, yeah. the large abundance are golden stones. And then, you know, we have, like, helgramites and, you know, fish flies. But very, those are in such a smaller abundance that yeah. the chance of them seeing a helgramite larvae float by their face is substantially less just because, you know, of the abundance of, of them. So stoneflies are great. And I've caught a lot of my biggest fish on my stonefly that I tie, you know, and, um, it's funny, like the people that have bought it all love it they all have great success with it. And it's like, if you can just match it to the native one that we have here, if you can match it really well, fish gorge themselves on that. They do. From June, you know, late June, July, and then early August, and then they kind of go away. Yep. So I only fish it really during, you know, I use it as a way to get other flies down. Yep. Um, but when I'm really like, sometimes I'll just fish a single stonefly nymph early July, late June, mid-July. Those yep. are really the only times that I'll fish and, it. And then those guys, they'll they'll eventually hatch, right? And they're, yep. they don't hatch up through the water column. They crawl out. Yep. And that's usually, what, late June into like, mid-july for a lot of our rivers yeah and even some yeah late and still waters yes yeah late july even early august if you can find a river that has a bottom draw dam that keeps it cold all year often you'll keep seeing stones you'll keep seeing stones right up through through so what are you fishing for stonefly drives what's a good pattern that you like um there's stimulators, yep. which are a classic, you know. It's like a bushy-looking caddis, yeah, a little a, longer. Yeah, a little longer. You can make them as big as size 4. Like, I've seen, like, I've seen stoneflies in Maine as size 4, you know, at least, if not size 2, like yep. monsters, you know. 
all the way to like size 14. Yep. I probably won't fish any smaller than 14, but... Um, so you're more of a natural deer hair guy. You don't like the foam patterns as much? No, I. it's not that I don't like them. I do like them. I just suck at tying them. <laughs> I suck with foam. I'm so bad with foam, so... I can't. I can't I, believe that for a second. I'm not as good with foam. I'm just. I just am never pleased with it. Yeah. You know what I mean. You yeah. ever just tie, you tie a fly and you're just like, I'm not. It's pleased. hard to make I'm foam the same. It's like, hard to make foam the same. Yeah. And I'm just so particular about everything, so it's tough to make the body segments yeah. the exact same. And I just get very frustrated, and it takes me a long time. So I just. Yeah. But foam is great. I, mean, I love foam. Floats. Foam is so great. And you know me. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't give a shit. It can look horrible. <laughs> and I'll fish yeah. it. <laughs> And it's gonna work. Yes. Oh, it doesn't Absolutely. matter. Yeah. The, yeah. Pretty, <laughs> I'm not as anal as you. Pretty flies it. don't yeah. catch more fish. I also don't sell my flies. Yes. Yeah. Pretty flies <laughs> don't catch more fish. That's the truth. They look nice though, and they give me more confidence. And yeah. I think having more confidence catches you more fish. Sure. But it's not the fly. It has nothing, you know, to do with it. But yeah. So, the uh, the stimulator is great. That's my go-to for for stone fly. I nice. often put black deer hair on the wing. Yeah. Um, instead, a lot of people use tan, but if you look at a stonefly, if you actually, you know, their wings are dark. Their wings are black. Yeah. And so, why is everyone using tan for That's the cool. wings? You know what I mean? I, That's a good I, point. I, I don't understand, and it really doesn't matter because it's the wing, and the yep. fish is looking at the belly. It's not looking at the wing, anyways. But, you know, I don't know. Try to match the natural as close as possible. Maybe it gives the same shadow effect, you know. But yeah, so so stoneflies are great if you're in, if you're fishing for brook trout in, you know, July. You've got to have some yellow stimulators. Yep, have to. Yep, they're they're an essential. That's such a great flip. I mean, like you'll at the very least you'll get action. Yep. You know, so if you're if you're they're so buoyant. Oh yeah, they they float really high. Yep. They're big. For something that's not foam. They yes. Float really they're big and fish love them. So yep. yeah, stimulators late into the summer, the end there towards the mid July, definitely stimulators. Got to got to toss. I'm those. a big bugmeister guy that time of year. Yeah, a very similar tie to the yeah to yeah, the yeah. Uh, stimulator. A little bigger sometimes yep. though. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I love. I love a purple body on them. Purple is just people love purple. You yeah. know. Well, brookies love purple. Our um. They do. Megan Hess. Um, she, we were just talking about purple, using a purple woolly bugger. Yeah, man. And like, you know, they do purple for, you know, it kind of goes against my theory that color doesn't matter unless fish have an inordinate amount of time to, you know. Yeah, but what do you think purple looks like deep down? You know what I mean? Not much because blue disappear. It, (coughs) it has a tough time penetrating the water, uh, the purple color. So it almost appears to them, if they're far enough away, it almost appears somewhat translucent, almost. Interesting. So if they're like, if they're up to, oh, I don't know, if they're like six, seven feet away from it, mm-hmm. which like is not that far, you yeah. know, there are plenty of places where fish hang six, seven, it's almost translucent. They almost can't see that purple color. And so it doesn't look purple to them at all. Yeah. So you're like, <laughs> it's translucent. It's weird, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I don't catch like I don't like where I'm fishing for a brook trout and salmon. I don't catch as many salmon on purple stuff mm-hmm. as I do brook trout. Though it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Know. Salmon. I can't explain it. Yeah, you, you you know a little more about that stuff. Or yeah, I, you, I just you talk to fish. So <laughs> I just think you that listen. I think that purple is it does work, but does it work any different than black? 
I don't know. You know, I don't think it does. I don't fish black bodied. Like. See, I fish, I have, every fly that I have, I have a black alternative. Yeah. Just to support my notion that color doesn't matter. Yeah. And basically, anytime someone doesn't believe that, I'll just fish the black pattern. And then I'll catch the same amount of fish on the black one as the colored one. And I'll be like, see, it doesn't matter. It's more about presentation and yeah. putting the fly where the fish expects it to be. And it has the same behavior and posture as the insect would have, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't want to get political on you, but black flies matter. That's you know, it. They do. They do. So they have a shirt like that. They have a shirt that says that. Black flies matter. In uh, Jackman, on your way to Jackman. But they're Jackman. talking about the other type of black flies. Yeah, they're talking about the one that drives you insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's funny. Yeah. Also, if you're... And I'm not surprised at all. No, me neither. The classic <laughs> Jackman, of course. Good for them. But, yeah, so black flies is another... That's cool. Maybe. It's another Black bodies on your dries. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, most people are. Again, most people go olive or they go tan. What I tell anyone to do is put on a pair of goggles, and then I want you to lay on the bottom of a stream, and then I want I will float flies over your face, and you tell me what color they are. Yeah. If you can get five out of ten correct, I'll give you all the money in my savings account. Nice. Because you cannot see the color. Yeah. It's a shadow. They all look black. So the only reason I know that is because I've done that. Like nice. And many, I'm not many, surprised that you've done many, that. Many, many times I've done that. And I keep so, saying I'm going to go snorkeling every year. And yes, just go it. snorkel. It's like, especially on a sunny day. Yeah. When you look up, it's just totally black. And you're like, there's orange on that somewhere, but I can't see it. You know. And so it's like, and fish and us have, on clear water from two feet away, have similar vision. Yeah. We both have similar vision. Theirs is a little better through murky water than ours, but it's not that. Sure, because they're going to make their living there. Yes, right. right. It's, but it's, so they're going to adapt a little more. But that, a two-foot look in clear water, yeah. it's the same. Us and the fish see the same thing. So anyways, let's, but whatever. Let's, uh, let's transition over to ponds that time of year. So June. Sure. Um, uh, obviously, dry flies start happening. Yep. But let's talk what's going on subsurface in a lot of Maine's ponds. Sure. There is a lot of chironomids. In any lake that you go to yep. across the world. So a good technique is if there's nothing hatching and you don't feel like chucking a you know woolly bugger or a leech around. Putting on a sinking line, stuff like that, right? Is, you don't want to do yeah, – you don't feel like doing that. Yeah, if you don't want to do that. Sure. Get a longer leader, like 15 feet or something. Put a strike indicator way up. Put a balanced leech on the end and then – Add a little bit of tippet to your balanced leech, like 18 inches, 24 inches, and tie a chironomid, a little midge-looking thing. Yeah, a little red zebra midge yeah. or something like that, right? With like a little, has a little white head. Oh, yeah. A little white poof. A little bit of like McFly lawn coming out of yep. something, right? And you can just let the waves do the natural work for you. You yep. kind of bob your bobber, you know, up and down. It's and so interesting that I know people that do this and I've, I've been saying I want to do the last couple mm-hmm. of years and I just haven't, yeah. I haven't gone out and done it, but throwing, uh, in indicators on like a still water. Yeah. Is so interesting to me. It works and it's great on windy days. I just talked with a guy who wrote a blog for me about cutthroat and how he really likes windy days fishing for because they use strike indicators on still water oh, so for, for, for cutthroat. And basically the wind pushes the strike indicator around and it does, it moves your fly for you. Sure. And I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. And then once a fish sees the, you know, cause they do the chironomids swim in the water. Yeah. They kind of like inchworm their way around that little movement. The fish are obviously looking for, so you know, cool. 
So and I know it's super effective because oh I yeah, know, it's, yeah, it's I crazy. Know you do that very yep. effectively. I know other people do it very effectively. It's and, great. It's great. It's it's a little slower. You know, you're not doing much. You're just kind of waiting. You know, maybe right. you know wait. It's not as visually pleasing as a drive. No, of course, but it's very effective. Yeah. So you know that's an option, and then obviously the dries again. Those are. What about subservice? We we get the hex nymphs down there, the dragonfly nymphs, right? Like that's a big monster deal. nymphs, yeah. yeah, like monster nymphs. So how are people fishing like dragonfly nymphs? Because they're all like there's dragonflies in every pond in yep. Maine, pretty much. Um, sinking line, got to have sinking line. Yep. Usually cast out towards the shore, because most of those nymphs are in a muddy terrain or on vegetation. So, so are you stripping it back to you in the canoe or the float tube or whatever? Yes. Interesting, because don't, I mean, don't a lot of them crawl out of the bank, yes, too, though? but, like... You can't cast from the shore. A lot of them, it's what they do is they right. climb onto a, uh, you know, like, some sort of stock, like a lily pad stock or something, and they climb up that. Interesting. So, like, you can't really, for me, at least, you can't really cast into the lily pads. Or no. Bit, you know, whatever. You're so, right. So, what I just... being parallel to the shore? Yeah, that would be fine. Or even from shore, casting out and yeah. pulling in, yeah. also. Again, I don't think it matters a whole lot as long as the brook trout see it in that area in that right? zone which is usually an incline right yes like, the, like, like off the, like some drop off or something yeah so as long as they see it in that zone then they'll be like i can do you have that. a favorite dragonfly nymph no but or it's just like a bugger like it's everybody um, uses a bugger for him i do but it's i don't know what the name is name of it is but basically it's got black dark black eyes that are monofilament. Mm. Um, so you just heat up a little piece of monofilament. Yeah. Then it shrinks it right down. I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of it either. And I just call it a dragonfly nymph. Like yeah. It's the one pattern. I know. Do you know it's what green, I'm talking about? Olive. Yeah, it's green. and then They it's stick got the, it on the side of his head. Yes. And then it's, it's like a slender body. And then it has like a fluffy marabou kind of tail yeah. looking thing. Yes. Yeah. So that's, my, that's my favorite. But again, like, you know, those are great. You can do the same thing with any type of, you know swimming nymph and there's so many different dragonfly nymphs that you can get out there especially if you go dig around in the water you'll see the variation of them some are like look like little dinner plates yeah some are very slender like there's a whole bunch of them so you can really mess around with that and then you know on the fall you know or heading towards that july um not into fall quite yet but late summer the subsurface stuff does change, but not as drastically, I would say, as the rivers. It's it's more consistent. So you can kind of fish a dragonfly nymph on a sinking line all summer. Yeah. Even into fall. I mean, dragonflies are still hatching. I right. still see dragonflies outside hatching, you know, and I still see them buzzing around. Yep. And, you know, the caddis come in lakes. Like, you'll see some caddis. You'll see the hexes and some mayflies and stuff. But... There are certain things that you can really fish all year. Leeches, woolly buggers, dragonfly, dragonfly nymphs, nymphs yep. chironomids. Yep. Those you can fish all year for brook trout in, in a pond. Yep. So those, and just to stay on ponds for a second, like your, um, like for dry flies on ponds, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like a, like a early spring. Like it kind of carries into most of summer. Yes. For the most part, from mm-hmm. what I've seen at least. And, yeah, um, I, yeah. Do you find a lot of caddis or do you find more mayflies? And like, I, I mean, I fish a lot of like terrestrial, like I fish mm-hmm. like a ton of dragonfly and dry yeah. flies. Yeah. Man, do I love just letting one go out there and just let it sit. Yeah. And you twitch it every minute or so. And beetles. 
Beetles. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Beetles, grasshoppers, towards yeah. the edges, like trees, overhanging trees. Yep. Um, now, were you a uh, are you a rise chaser? Like when you see a rise, it makes an O ring. <laughs> do you cast right in that O ring, or are you like the guy who's like, where's it going next? Okay, who doesn't cast to the rings? I always do. Of course, and it I never works. Decent, it I never have works. Success yeah, with I it. mean, okay, I mean, kind of, but <laughs> not always. It's not though. the same fish. <laughs> you and I have argued about this it's before. Not I the feel same like. fish. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> okay, everyone casts towards the ring. Obviously, yeah. Um, does it matter if you cast like? For me, it's almost a game. I'm trying to land my fly in the dead center of the ring. Yeah. Like, almost as a carnival game. Sure. I don't think it's effective, though. I think you're better off... It just off. makes you feel good about your accuracy. Yes. I Yes. I think you're better <laughs> off casting to the left or to the right or out front or out back. I mean, so you're a guy who chases, like... Because they'll cruise. Like, they'll mm-hmm. rise, and yep. then they'll rise, like, 15 feet to the right, yep. let's say. Of and course. Then 15 more feet to the right yep. or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm definitely not a... Why are they rising so far apart from each other? Why aren't they like, come I mean, on, it's come probably up, many fish. You don't think it's just one? Yeah, it's definitely many fish. Interesting. So, because there's no way that, you know, when you see a bunch of rings scattered around, yeah. there's no way that it's one fish. Think about it logically. <laughs> there's no way that one fish is sprinting to each spot. <laughs> he's just got a lot of energy. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, he's just an energetic guy, you know? Yeah, that, no. I, I got to be honest with you, though. I have caught a lot of fish casting back into that O-ring. Have you caught a lot rides. of large fish doing that? No, but I feel All like right. it's the All same right. well, fish, though. Like, I, guess it's, I guess the debate is settled. It's I've never caught a lot of large fish on... Like, what's yes, a lot? Right? What are we talking? Sure. 18 plus. No. Yeah. 14 to 16, sure. yes. Sure, sure, sure. But I feel like somebody told me a long time ago, like, if they rise and you land that fly back in there within three seconds, they come back for it. And you think that's bullshit? I, yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another fish in the area. I think if you land that fly one second before the fish is going to come up in that exact area, yeah. then, yeah, you're pretty good. But right. after, no, I think once it goes up, man, that's it. It's good. Interesting. I mean, they're, they're cruising around. They're not just. Yeah. They're, Are they potted? Are think, they potted up, too? I don't, uh, some, some, t- it depends. Cause like oftentimes when fish are feeding, something's going on in that area. Yeah. So there will be a lot of fish in that area because something is going on. Right. But like a fish doesn't like come up and then just sit there. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what you're thinking. But where are they going? Up. Who knows? They're just cruising around. They're fish. That's yeah. what they do. They swim. You know. How do you know they don't just go back down and sit there? Just sit there like this. <laughs> just oh, maybe another just, one's gonna just drop waiting. Down. Like please come back. To the same maybe stuff. I just catch all the dumb fish, dude. <laughs> yes, that's that's possible. Yeah, there's got to be. There's always dumb fish out there. They don't all have the same IQ. That is true. So. Some are definitely smarter. All right, that's a good debate. That is a good debate. I like that. I'm um, uh, I'm, I'm opposed, but. All right, let's go to. So we've talked about rivers, ponds for that late spring to summer. Mm-hmm. We'll jump into uh, what I like to call late summer, so mid-July through August. I mean, rivers are simple, right? Like, the big rivers, they kind of shut down. If you're going to catch fish, it's most likely going to be in maybe some deeper water. Like, they kind of move out of those pockets a lot, too. Yeah. And you're probably catching on nymphs for the most part if you're going yep. for bigger fish. But a lot of little fish will hang around for dry still in that month. Yep. Yeah, I, I if you're looking for... Little fish, I would caution, always bring a thermometer with you during the month of August at late summer. Because once it gets, for me, like once it gets over, I don't know, 67, 66, like yep. I'm kind of out. So like the month of August, I pretty much am out on trout. You yep. know, like I don't, 
I don't even. I don't fish. I've stopped it. guiding the last three years in August, and in in yeah, a few like, times I might do like a five a.m. to sure. like an eight a.m. Yeah. trip. Yeah, if you want to, yeah. but that's if you want to get out there early, early morning, the water is definitely cool enough. Yep. You know, what about the evenings? It's warmer. Like water's the warmest in the evening, isn't it? Because it's been heating up all day. Yeah, I even if it is cooler, it's been warm all day. Right. You know, so the fish has been tired and it's just trying to survive all day. Yep. And now you're gonna take. I think a lot of people go, "Oh, it's cooler at night," right? right? And it's like, you, "Oh, it's better," but it's not. It you got to think about. Really warm. You got to think about what the fish went through twelve hours before you're yep. about to approach it. You know, and so if it's if it had an entire night to cool off. Then you hit it at 5 a.m., you know, daybreak. Okay, now the fish has probably recouped quite a bit over that 12-hour period. But if it's been in the hot baking sun for 12 hours, and then you're going to hit it, you know, it's like it's probably not the best so that, thing to that do That time for of year, if you're going to hit rivers, though, it's early morning. I would say. Yep. I would say. Yep. And then there are some rivers that stay cold all year in Maine. Sure. You know, people are aware of that. Just look for a bottom-drawing dam. Yep. That stay sub 65 all, all year, you know, right. or very rarely get above 65, you know. And those, but even on those rivers, you still hit your midday lulls yes, real bad. Yeah, you definitely. Especially in August. Yeah, especially in August. But those, if you're looking to fish, like you absolutely need to fish for brook trout, those are the only rivers that I would fish, you yep. know. I don't, but I, you know, there are a few that, that are okay to fish. But again, when you're fishing them, like you said, dries, droppers, Grasshoppers, yeah, and usually smaller dries. Yeah, big stones aren't really hanging around as much. No. So your bigger caddis, yeah, a lot of tan caddis are yep. in the water. It's eighteen, like here. size eighteen caddis, yep. sixteen. Those and, kind of small, and they've seen a ton of flies over the last three a months ton, too. A so ton. You got to get a little smarter. That's when you got to start ordering main fly guy flies. There you go. Yeah, nice. those are the little different ones. The ones that are a little different, yep. you know, than the LL Bean ones that everyone and, and their That's mom true, has. Man. You know, so they don't got those specials there. They or don't. The Nate White specials either, right? Nate White has some. He's got some specials too. You don't find those in the fly shop. So. They're they're yeah. His are his are special as well. Yep. He's he's got. I love his flies. They're just so great. Yep. Just something about them, you know, just a little. I've been fishing them all summer, man. Yeah. I've been hammering them. They're fantastic. And I would never tie those flies. I don't nope. Know I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. this color? Yeah. He's 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 eccentric for sure. Deep and blue. I'm like, I've never yeah. fished that. I don't even have that color dubbing. Yeah. You know I, mean? like that. I love it. I love it. I think it's awesome. Um, How about ponds that time of year? Ponds that time of year, basically trout are receding to deep holes. Again, it's so warm. Spring um, holes, right? You know, usually. usually right before that, though, like late July, that's the hex hatch where fish have this one. It's it's crazy because everything, everything works out so smoothly in a, in, a, in a system, you know. And so just before trout basically go into shutdown mode, go into their spring holes, there's this mega hatch of cheeseburgers that just sit on the yeah, water man. in in the tens if not hundreds of thousands if you so, know hex hatches for those of you listening go type it in and it's just a massive mayfly so as big as your palm yeah so fish just gorge themselves on these hex hatches and then they go into their their spring holes they're, they're basically cool refugees in the lake underneath um where the lake thermally stratifies it's usually it changes in every lake, like it's different in every lake, but it's usually deeper than, say, 30, 40 feet. Yep. You know, it's in the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 foot range. And fish will go down there and they'll just hang out. 
um, until the water cools down, and then they'll head back up. And uh, I would avoid fishing for them in August in ponds because... They're seeking refuge. They're seeking refuge. And so if you're pulling them away from that refuge, it's it's so much stress on them, they're likely to not recover. If, you, if you're pulling a brook trout out from 60... 40, 50 feet, yeah. it's likely it's not going to be doing that great when you put it it's back. It's like jumping out of a hot tub in the middle of the winter in the snow. Right. It's, it's not, just, it's not right. fun. It's very, very bad. So, <laughs> it's not fun for you. So, yeah. So, it's, uh, I, ponds, August, uh, you know, northern, the most northern parts of Maine where it's very cold. Again, like early, ponds. early morning. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing again. High elevation ponds. Yeah, high elevation. Those are cold, you know. Again, just bring a thermometer with you. Like yep. it's not, you know, if, if the water says sixty eight, yep. don't fish it. You know, yep. if it says seventy two, definitely, you know, definitely. I got a cool tip from somebody this year to tie uh tie your uh thermometer to your shoelace on Shoelace, like, right. When you're standing in a river. Right? Yeah, that's great, right? Like boom, now you can just check quick. So yep. yeah, I, I that's that's it for ponds for me. August when August rolls around, I'm out. I'm yep. out on trout. It's just yeah. You know, I'm out on trout. Out on trout. August. Out on trout month. Quote that. I like that. Quote that. No, that's trademark. That's a trademark right there. Out on trout. August. Yeah. I love it. Um, All right. And then let's let's roll back to rivers and we'll talk about the current season that we're in now. And we'll end on talking about the fall season. So fall brook trout and rivers. They're beautiful. They're colored up, right? Why are they so colored up? Why are they getting that orange and that red? Brook trout undergo this transformation that is quite unique. The color red itself in nature is extremely limited, right? You just don't see red things. Just the leaves. Just the leaves and then anything that's poisonous. And so like in Maine, you know, we have very, very, very few red looking things because we don't have a lot of poisonous things in Maine. So one of the reasons why I think you know, people love that red brook trout is because it's just a rare phenomenon that occurs in nature. Brook trout are coloring up primarily for spawning. And if you catch a female, it's likely that she won't be as colorful um, because they don't need to. So the color is used, one, for communication um, between males, females, and other males. Like, hey, I'm getting ready to spawn. I'm trying to look for the best spot. I'm looking for a female, whatever. Um, so not, not even necessarily a size thing. It's a color. Yeah. No, they're a small brook trout that they're just ready to spawn. Yeah. So it's a communication thing. Hey, everyone in the in the fish world, I'm ready to spawn. Yep. That's why they turn red. It's all, it's a sexual selection thing where, you know, usually the brightest, biggest, reddest brook trout yep. get the best spots to spawn. Interesting. You know, usually. And so it's sort of a, like the female won't drop her eggs until she's ready. And like, how does a fish know when it's ready? Well, it usually knows when it's ready is when a male fish is in the right spot. So if like a little dink brook trout, a little 10 inch dink is sitting next to a female, she's likely to not drop her eggs. Yeah, that's that's how nature works. Right, because she wants the biggest, right. And so when a big five pounder slides up next to her and is bright as can be, she's like, yep, I'm ready to do this. And then she'll let it go. So it's a communication thing. And short, short fish never get the love, just like short people. You know what? That's not true. I'll tell you what, because (laughs) 
Well, there's short females out there for the short. No, no, no. Short no. The short males have a great strategy. They basically, it's kind of gross, but basically when the female drops her eggs, there's no like, fish can't be like, hey, stay away, right? Right. So she drops her eggs, the guy's dropping his sperm, the little tiny males, um, often referred to as like satellite males, sometimes in some trout species, not all of them, but some of them, will sneak underneath the female and the male and drop his sperm as well. Oh, so it's a third wheel. Yeah, sneaking underneath, like getting covered. <laughs> it's getting covered with with eggs and semen, and then it's like whatever. I don't care. I'm gonna drop my seed as well. So the little guys do make it out sometimes, and not all trout species exhibit that behavior, but some of them do. And now, will there will the bigger eggs mix better with the females? Well, the bigger sperm eggs. No, no, like no, like it doesn't. Like no, it doesn't really matter. So it's just which it's the same thing in humans. Whichever sperm hits that center first yeah. whichever one meets the center first is the winner yeah. you know so 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 brookies spawn in the fall yep. they do it in rivers yep traditionally um like gravel rivers right because that's yep. they can move the gravel to lay their eggs underneath it like they're not moving a big freestone rock that's why they no. do it in these gravel rivers and um so during during that season are they eating a lot so it's such an interesting debate about, like, are they eating a lot? They're definitely not eating as much as the summer, you know, as, as June, we'll say. Yeah. Definitely not eating as much. But they still eat just at smaller windows throughout the day. Because yeah. they're not, I mean, they need to eat something. Brook trout, they spawn but, them all. But is this because they're so focused on their spawning activities? Yes, that they're yes. They're just not they wanna, focused on feeding? Yes, they want to make sure that they get the right place at the right time and also there's not as many bugs in the water you know what i mean there's not as many bugs hatching you know it's funny you say that because i don't find in the early fall like this time of year like Mm -hmm. early september i don't find a lot of big stonefly nymphs crawling around i don't find a lot of bigger oh yeah caddis and stuff like the bugs i see again flipping 10 rocks or whatever but i just don't see as many big bugs this time of year yes because they've all hatched yeah they've all hatched they're adults and then the ones that are um, out now, they're not. Um, they just haven't grown as big yet. Yeah, they right. haven't grown as big. But like, do the stoneflies that hatch back in July, like, will they start? Will they start? Like, will their eggs that they laid, like, do they start up in the fall, or are they kind of like later, and then hold on through the winter or something? Because no, I they, just don't see big stoneflies. They start up, but they're here. so small. You know what I mean? Like so tiny. So yeah. like like size like thirty two, you know, like stuff. So they like have like basically one cycle a year for stoneflies? No, they're multiple year, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I'm yeah, positive, I don't know either. I'm pretty sure they're multiple year. I think it's two or three. Yeah. But caddis will have like ten. Yes, right? like yeah, they, they yeah, going. they just keep going. They're again like the schizos yep. of the bug world. They just never stop. <laughs> it's great. Caddis are great. They're rabbits. But yeah, so the fall they're not um, they're not eating, and traditionally, a lot of people fish streamers. Um, big, bright colors, kind of piss them off type mentality. And uh, that is great. I, I, you know, I do that. It's very traditional, too. You can tie up. I just tied an order for a guy, and he just slammed it. He just slammed the brookies on it, you know, yeah. on, on a Grey Ghost variant. And he said he just, he ordered another dozen of them because he just hammered them, you know. Yeah. And it's got a bright orange body. Very flashy, you know, very, very um, um, bright. And so... 
Are most of them pawning up the time of, this time of year though? Like are they getting together? Yeah. Yes. In those pawning yes. places because they're trying to both male and female. Yes, they're trying to make their way to their grounds. So yeah. they're already in like an agitated state where they're kind of pissed off because they have to be because they have to fight. Maybe not the females as much, but the males for sure. So throwing something big and bright. The idea behind it is... They think it's that little fish trying to slide in. Yeah, it's a little fish trying to slide into his territory, or they're just... It's bright, and they just don't want it in their face, so they bite it, you know? Eat your ass. Right. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Trying to get into my my woman over here. Right, exactly. So So that's that. But for me, I don't don't fish streamers that often. I often fish um, soft tackles. Yeah. Because it's tough to fish a streamer through a pod of fish. So if you are lucky enough to know where fish pod up, then you'll know that you can't nymph through them. That's a no-no. If you're nymphing through pods of fish, you should stop that because you're almost guaranteed to snag one. Yep. You know. Now, are they eating nymphs too, though? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah. they are. I'm sure right. they are. But, but like, it's more because you got weight down there. Yes. And you're just going to bump into them. Yeah, you're you just going to bump into them. We're so good at setting the hook now, right. you know, you with see, indicators. Yeah, you see an indicator go down, you set it, and you're like, oh, well, I wasn't trying to snag it. Well, it's like, well, no shit, but you're sliding a fly through a pod of 20 fish. What did you think was going to yep. happen, you know? Yep. So I've I've done that with stockies in, like, late November. Yeah. Sure. And I've just been nymphing through them. And the minute that indicator twitches, I set of the course. hook. Bam, fouled. Bam, bam fouled. fouled. Uh, yes, yep. of course. So it's yep. like, you know, it's, again, it's an ethical and moral thing. Are you willing to lower... Are you willing to lower the bar as to you know that accidental snags are going to happen? Yep. Is that where you want the bar to be set for your ethical, you know, sort of level for angling? Is that where you want to set it? So what are you doing in that situation then? For me, I just throw soft tackles on top. So do you like dry dropper or you just like double soft tackles or one soft tackle? one soft tackle. That's all I do. Just one soft tackle. And what are you tight lining on the swing so you can feel for it? Yeah, I'm just – and it's in the film. So I'm going to see the strike. Right. You know, so my fly is never more than – a quarter of an inch below the water, yeah. half an inch below the water. So I just cast it out upstream at 45 degree angle. I like a little bow in my line so yeah. that it kind of gives that fly a little more speed. So it, it it's a U with the open end of the U facing upstream. Yeah, it makes sense. So when the fly comes down, it kind of gains a little bit more speed and really whips out. When my line straightens out, it really catches some speed. So will they chase up from those spawning positions? Oh, yeah. All eat, the time. Yes. yes. So they're still actively eating. Yes. But part. it's just they you have to watch the behavior. And if you've ever been lucky enough to just watch brook trout that are potted up for one hour, just yeah. sit there for an hour and watch them, you'll see that certain fish start acting differently and they start feeding on stuff. And then they stop. And then they won't feed on stuff. And for that 10-minute window, that's your window to catch that fish. Yep. And if you're fishing for that fish outside of that 10 windows, the 10-minute window, the only time you're going to catch them is if you snag them. Yep. So you just need to be able to pick up on that fish is feeding right now. I need to fish for that fish. Yep. So you're almost like picking out a fish. Yep. You're not just yep. going through a bunch yep. of them and saying, oh, I hope one of them takes. Yep. And then if you don't have that option, you know, like let's say you can't see the fish but you know that fish are in the area. Yeah. Because they're not they're not all just like, hey, it's September, whatever. I'm going to go, we're all going to go pot yep. up together. Like yep. some are still making their journey. Oh, yeah. Some are still, still in, in their, some are still feeding. Some mm-hmm. are still in their summer yes. places. Yeah, some are still they feeding and stuff. 
then then you can go back and do your traditional stuff, whatever. If you want yep. a nymph or something, like, you know, the chance of you snagging an individual fish hiding behind a rock is very, 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 very low. Right. So feel free to do whatever you want then, you know. Yeah, like go nymph through your pockets, right? Yeah, sure. Do whatever. Your big pools and stuff. Right. But I, you know, I, this time of year, I'm still, I'm back to dries. and Yeah, dries are great. So I just went to a river. On Saturday, which it's whatever, September, let's see, what was that? 20, September 20, 18th, 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 19th, 19th, and caught probably 20 fish on dry flies. That's awesome. Caddis and blue winged olives. I like, love blue winged olives this time of year. Do you know what I mean? So you don't need to get down deep this time of year. Fish are still coming to the top. You yeah. know, you can use streamers and whatever. That's great. But if you want to fish dries this time of year. And that's because the water temps just aren't cold enough yet that they're hunkered right. down. They're still moving around. Yeah, they're still moving around. So fall, <coughs> come fall, active. come fall. Don't, you, I would say come fall, you should try a lot. Yep. You should consistently switch up because things change like that in the fall. And, you know, try streamers. Sinking line is preferred, you know, so you can get your streamer at least down there a little bit. Not a heavy sink, but, you know, maybe a slow sink, like a, you know, one or two inch per second sinking line, yeah. something like that. And okay. then, you know, your dries and your and your emergers, your soft tackles, your wet flies, those are... Those it's, an ex- are it's an exciting time of the year in the rivers because the big oh. fish are coming out of the lakes to do their thing. And yeah. these aren't resident river fish in some places. No. You know, and that's... Uh, this isn't just, you know, western Maine. This is central Maine and oh, everywhere Maine. And everywhere. It's a it's a it's a cool time of year. So, um we'll finish. Let's talk about ponds in the fall. Ponds in the fall are tricky, especially if they're connected to rivers. Yep. Cuz you can often find yourself not catching a lot of fish. And you're like, "Well, where's all the fish?" Or you're just catching small ones. And well, they might be off to spawn, you know? So, there are some fish that never leave the lake. You know, they'll always be there. So there are always fish to catch in the lake for sure. But um, if you find yourself in the fall, you're like, crap, I haven't caught any fish today. It might be because they've already left. Yep. However, if you can catch them right before they leave, that can be some of the best. in the streamers, I would just fish streamers for yep. them because you want to cover a lot of ground. Yep. So it's tough to cover a lot of ground with a blue-winged olive, yep. a size 18 caddis. So right, because you're just fishing to maybe O-rings that aren't really happening, but you can cover a lot with a streamer because you can strip it. Yes. So stripping a blue-winged olive. Even things much. like bright bead leeches, yep. stuff like that, you know, that, that'd be that's my first go-to. Do you start in the shallows? Like you fish into the shore? I start in like the inlets, outlets. Interesting. Yeah. Start there. Right at the mouths of them. Yeah. And then work your way to the center shallows, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. They're they're moving towards the rivers. Yes. They have to be. Or, you know. And the water's cooling down. Even if they're not moving to spawn, there's food there. Water's cooling down. There's some current there. Slow. You might not even be able to detect it, but there is current there. And so a lot of energy is being input in that area, which means... A lot of food for little things, which attract bigger things, you know. So inlets and outlets is where I start. Dries on in the fall, like again, you can, it's, there might be rings, but what are they chasing? The fall is often where you're like looking and you see rings and you're like, there's nothing on the water. You're you're like, there's nothing there. What are they chasing, you know? And that's when it's like size 28 
images, yeah. you know, stuff. That's... We do, but we do get the uh, the old October caddis. Yes, for sure. Mostly on the rivers. I don't know. I haven't fished a ton of ponds for cat with caddis in the fall. Maybe I'm missing out on something. But yeah, I'm with you there. I you know I I wouldn't even know if orange bodied caddis. You know, yeah, I've seen them on the rivers. I fish them a lot on the rivers in October. Actually, yeah. there's yeah, one they're... river that I do pretty well on with them, and in October, and I love. Um, I love fishing those at the time of the year. Dude, I've seen stoneflies like the third week of October before. Big some rivers. honking. October caddis are honking too. Yes. They're, they're, they're a big meaty, meaty meal. So yeah. yeah, if you find those, I don't know if they're on lakes. I don't believe they are. But yeah. if, if you do, then yeah, I would not Keep it pass. secret if you're out there. Yeah, keep it secret if you're out there. Actually, just tell me. Just tell me. Well, you and I spend so much time on moving water. Yes, you just do. of course. And moving water is, you know, more the classic in the fall. You know, people want to catch those fish that have moved from the lakes and they're now, you know, in their pre-spawn stage. But yep. just remember, if you are new and you're, because this, this whole podcast is kind of not geared for new anglers. I'm sure every angler will learn something. But if you're new, do not extend your comfortability as far as what you're capable of or what you think is right in the fall that's where a lot of people forget their morals and their ethics yeah and they think this fish is worth more than being a respectful angler and it happens very frequently in maine and i don't know if it's maine people or if it's out of staters coming to maine or whatever but a lot of people really lower their standards for themselves just to catch a trophy fish. So if you're new and you're chasing brook trout and you happen to stumble upon fish that are, you know, potted up and pre-spawn and there's eight people fishing right over them, just go, go somewhere else. Leave. Because, you know, stuff like that. Is it worth it to catch the fish if you're going to put the fish's health at risk? And for me, it's a hard no. I know for you, it's a hard no. Yeah. And it's been a big topic this this year. Huge, massive. You know, it's and all over social media, and then also inland fishery is now in on it some, and they are and spreading the word about big it. Big time. So, I you know I've been in talks with certain bios who understand and what's going on, and a lot of people agree when I talk to them verbally. And outwardly to the people sure. um, are like, yes, you know, these these fish are pre-spawning. They don't have a choice to go there. Like, it's innate. They, right. they, they just go there. Yep. They don't have a choice. Then they're in a barrel. And then they're in a barrel and people are on top of them, yep. hammering them 24 hours a day. And... The same happens with the sucker spawn in the spring. Yes, They absolutely. almost don't have a choice because they go to where there's right. biomass. And right. Feed so, you know, you have a choice. As an angler, and your choice can be, do I harass these fish that have been harassed for seven days straight, or do I go elsewhere and maybe look for less, uh, you know, less risky populations of fish? Yep. You know, and that's your choice. And a lot of people outwardly to the public and privately to me will say, yeah, totally, you know, we shouldn't be harassing pre-spawned fish, but then go ahead and fish for them privately. You know, and then right. we'll post a picture next year of a monster that they snagged. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it happens. you know, it's like, it's just, you have a choice. You have a choice. As an angler, you can be a moral and ethical angler and do the right thing. 
um, and put the fish first rather than your own ego. Yeah. Because a lot of people, what they say is they go, well, the fish were there and I'm legally allowed to fish for them. Exactly. And, and that's, that's such a awful, awful. It's a bad justification. Yes, bad opinion. justification. I think it is and whatever. But so you just, you have an option and it's difficult to keep your standards high when you're alone. Right. When no one's watching, are right. you still that ethical angler? Yeah. And that, what's great is a lot of people believe in it. And I truly, I've seen anglers change over the past couple of years to this kind of moral, they've learned and they understand, like, I love these fish. I want them to continue and I need to protect them. And if that means not catching one or two giants this year, then I'm willing to sacrifice that. And and you say this as a person who has both done that to yep, start out for and sure. then you've also seen like when you when you watch a 20 inch fish just go belly up yeah it's a it's a horrible feeling horrible right? horrible it just is and then it's like is that what it's going to take for people to learn their lesson because yeah. if that's the case then you're going to have lots of fish that are yep. dying you know and like i remember you know when i was younger i would go to this pool and i saw a fish i saw a fish with two Big, big woolly buggers stuck in its back. And I was like, man, that really that really changed my outlook. And I was like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? I was yeah. just I just asked myself, like, what what am I doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And I and I've, get I've it. seen the guys I've seen people foul hooking fish and they take the fish out and they act yeah. like they just won the World yep. Series. And they take a picture of it. Excited. We saw like, it this spring. We saw yeah, it this spring. We did. So you're not in let's be honest, I'm in, in by no means are Greg and I the fish police or anything. Not even close. You're not um you didn't catch that fish. No, you did not. You snagged it. Right. right. <laughs> so you didn't fool it. You know, and that's yeah. what we're all after, right? We're all after fooling it the right way. Yes. Right. Um and I think a lot of I think a lot of there's so many different things that fly fishing has evolved to, like all the added weight and all that stuff now. Yeah. That it's like it's making those things more common because if, if you couldn't fish weight in some of those spots, you'd never yeah. be hooking those you'd fish. Never be like you wouldn't be foul you wouldn't hooking. be foul hooking them right because they'd be moving for a fly. Sounds right. like that's something that I'll say this so it's it's your podcast. Sounds like that's something that the state should be doing. Yep. And oh, I agree. You know. I agree. No weighted flies in certain areas because the state knows every large spawning group of brook trout in the state. Yeah. They do know that because it's important because brook trout are, you know, are a high valued asset for Maine. So they know every large population of spawners and of where and, they and go. And that's why most rivers close on September 30th yes. because they know that October is. Except for some of them that close on September 15th. Yes. Why aren't more of them closing on September 15th? Right. right. Why aren't we allowing, allowing, wait, why don't we have a night owl program like the West does that shuts down these, you know, oh, like the hoot, hoot owls. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, why don't sure we have is. those to, sh- to protect these brook trout yeah. that are so valuable to the state? Why don't we have programs yeah. like that where, you know, the river's too hot. It's not safe. Shut the river down. And waters, I don't, I don't think too low. I don't think people are doing it maliciously. I think no, it's because absolutely. they, everybody enjoys it. Who's doing it, right? Who's catching brook trout? Like yeah. we do it for a reason, but we also, we all, I like to think we all want them to be there for our kids and our kids as kids and all that. And that's an important thing. And it's on us to not only 
do the right thing, but to educate others and spread the right message. You yes, know? for sure. And I don't think there's enough education out there. Like, I think it's bullshit that you go to a river and there's a sign on the side of the river that says, you know, fly fishing only, see law book for regulations. Right. Like, why can't on that sign there be the regulations? Would make sense. Why can't they just post them there? Like, yeah. <laughs> is that costing any more money in ink for the friggin' sign? Probably no. not. Yeah. Probably not. That stuff irks me. And that's, that's a state thing where it's like we've just been you know, doing the same thing over and over and over and we need some change there because sure. people need to be educated. Especially with Brooks Row. And the law book sucks, let's be honest. It's, it's so long it's, and so many different sections and it's tough. It's not great. It's really trying sometimes. It's tough. It's that's a maybe that's a later podcast because it's tough. I understand it's a lot, but like if you make it too simple then you're like, well, hey, how come this this river is special? How come it doesn't have special? And then you're like, well, you were just saying that it's too complicated, and now it's too simple. You know, so the law book is super hard. I feel bad. Very, very rarely do I feel bad for our state fish bios, but well, they keep recreating it every like yes, three years. It, yes, it's not great, but it's, it's a tough it's a tough ask to do. Yeah, but why don't we have a fishing education program when you get your license or something? Why we should just teach people. I mean, there? I've been asking that for a long time to people, and they just laugh at me, you know. And it's right. like, well, you know, our fishing could be a lot better than it is, and we only have like f- you know four major brook trout populations that can do their own thing on their own, you know. Yeah. And it's like. Well, fish are always the bottom of the priority list. They're always. And that's why our populations and our oceans and even our freshwater suck compared to what they used to be. Yes, for sure. But money is very important. So just remember (laughs) that the laws will likely revolve around money until they're gone. And then once they're gone, we'll say, okay, well, let's take care of the fish now. Let's let's do something to protect these fish because they're gone. So we should do something. It's like, well, you're a little too late, you know. So it's quite, you know, that it happens with... New anglers, because everyone that's fishing right now has an idea. And there actually has been an overwhelming push to, hey, let's leave these fish alone, especially this year because the water's been so low. Oh, it's been horrible. So I'm sure that people are still hammering them in a foot of water, you know. But maybe not as many people. But maybe not as many, which is good, which is good. And it's a trend. I definitely see a trend in fish first mentality yeah. rather than me first mentality it's the beauty of social media man and social media gets a lot of knocks but some of, yeah. that's, some of that's really great a lot of people have been stepping up and saying hey i'm not gonna do this and yeah you and, shouldn't either and, and i think that's great i think yeah. that you know collectively people are coming together and we have similar ideas of what ethical fishing is and that we actually do have a responsibility once we grab a rod you yeah. even though you didn't sign up for it just by picking up that rod, you have a responsibility to take care of this resource. Right. And I think that's something that was understood and kind of got lost somewhere and now is being re-understood. That yeah. you pick up a rod, you have a responsibility to treat the resource with respect yeah. and to do what's right for the fish and not your ego, yeah. basically. So well, it also, also, if you really want to go back into history over 100 years, people are just slamming fish and keeping them like crazy. And then I think people after that learned, like you're saying, there was like respect for picking up the rod. Those people after that who were like, holy cow, we got to actually manage these. And yes. I would say once management started picking up and being serious, probably in like the, you know. 30s, 40s or something. Yeah, you know, 50s. And then, you know, in the 60s, 70s, people were, you know, very conscious because they started losing populations. And yep. then 80s, 90s, I feel like it kind of, you know. Got better. 
got a little better and things were, you know, so, and there's always a learning curve with Brook Trout, you know, kids, young kids like myself, when I was younger, 18, 19, you know, that teenage years, you just don't, you're just like, they're fish, you know, I like catching them, you know, and then you grow older and you realize that you need to be appreciative of what they've given you, you know, and, and that, and they're fragile. Yeah, they're super the fragile. fragile you know? Super and, fragile. I mean, dude, you and I are on. We're on over two hours here on a Monday night when we both got to work in the morning. Just out here talking about brook trout because we're passionate about it. Yeah, I do you know love I mean? brook trout, and so hopefully people who are new or are looking to catch brook trout will hear this message and hopefully they learn something because we kind of went over a lot of, again, little nuggets like little tidbits. Man, can, I gave I gave away a lot of things. Tonight, I feel like that are yeah. some things that took me a long time to learn. Yes, me too. So I hope people, <laughs> I hope people listen to it because yeah. there's a lot of good tidbits in there. Yeah. But more than anything, I hope that they hear our cries of like how important they are. Yeah, and how cool they are for Maine, and it's such a special thing that we have that almost no other state has. It's the last stronghold for big brook trout. So, so I think it's a good. I think it's a good way to start this little mini series that we're running is to talk about brook trout because they need, they need our help to make the ethical decisions and the, you know, the uh, conscious decisions about what we do with them and stuff. And yeah, it's a, uh, it's good. So um, we are going to be back. Uh, I don't know when, but hopefully soon. And we're going to be highlighting another fish in Maine, and we won't reveal that yet. But we're hoping with this mini series to. Uh, continue to talk about all the different fish species in Maine and um, kind of how to catch them on the fly rod and and uh, kind of you know, what they eat and techniques and stuff. So, um, yeah, we're hoping that you enjoy it and uh, give us feedback. Um, so if you want to go follow on uh, Instagram, you will follow, uh, mostly probably already following, but Greg Labonte is at Maine Fly Guys. Um, and then I'm Aaron Broadus and I'm, uh, I'm at the main fly fishing podcast. So, um, we hope you enjoyed and we will be back soon with our next fish, right? We'll see you next time. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.